This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Welcome all our Torah Anytime viewers. I wonder what the people online think right now. (laughs) So the truth is, is uh, to explain why I'm catching my breath, well you guys know. First of all, for the people in the virtual world, you all have to give a very, very big thanks to the audience that we have over here because of an error that I did. Um... I can't even hear myself. I think there's like blood going through my ear. Okay, so let me explain. We came over here. As I was, I was maybe a minute or two or ten of the minute late. And um, when we set up the camera, we realized there's no SD card. There's no SD card meaning that there's no recording. So there was a question if we should just start the class or if we should go. One person very loudly said, just go. Everyone else could have been, you know, cursing around their breath. I don't know. <laughs> They're like, come on, it's lit already. What are you doing? Uh, but it's in all the people in your... I really can't hear it at this here. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I didn't go underwater or anything. It wasn't triathlon or anything like that. All right, anyway, so... Is that weird? It, you know, I am on so many medications right now because of my allergies and my stuff that's going on over here. And I was running, which just doesn't make a good, you know, combination. You know when you can really enjoy a drink? When you really need it. And you know what? There's nothing better than water when you really need it. Everything, like, you can't have, like, the best Snapple or whatever drink that you like, Diet Coke, whatever. You, it, nothing compares to water when you really, really need a drink. This is really Marabu Masach Hashem. When you look at everything else, what is the main... Because the essence, every other drink only has water. It's some additive, you know, supplements that, that have to it. I don't think it's called supplements. I think it's called something else. Probably sugar. But anything else is just not... But you realize the essence is really all that you need that God gives you. But in any case, going back to our story, I had to run home. It took me seven and a uh, half minutes. Yeah. yeah, I timed myself also. Huh? <laughs> Nine minutes? Well, I timed myself from when I left the building. I didn't count. And then I, I stopped the time when I came into the building. Right, there's a flight of stairs over here, right? All right. In any case, so the entire virtual world um, and myself, uh, all thank you for, uh, you know, waiting that extra seven and a half or nine minutes. Uh, but who's counting? So um, we, we greatly, greatly appreciate it. Okay, now let's begin to the subject again. But in essence... Ah, oh, this, this, you guys are so lucky you came here today. Um, if I may so say so, if I may say so myself. <laughs> Let's slow down there. All right. Huh? Location. Thank you. Location. All right. We're not going to start the class for like another hour, so just give me a beer with me. <laughs> Everybody's invited to us. Because next week, we will be here at BJX at 160. You think I would know this already, right? Like I, I come here every day. Uh, 1601 Quentin Road. Uh... That's the address. 8 o'clock, Thursdays, women only. Uh, men are on Tuesdays at 6.30 Avenue S. Not the time, 6.30. The address, 6.30. Location is 6.30. Time is 8 p.m. also. And in any case, everyone's always welcome to email me for any other additional information that is needed. Okay. Uh, to, oh, one last announcement tonight. Uh, was graciously donated. Uh, you know, they sponsored part of our new camera set. So it's for Lelu Nishmat Naomi Bat Rivka and Ufwash Namara Fad Bat Frida. Now we can begin. Okay, now I can tell you how lucky you guys are that you came here. Because really, the, you know, when I was thinking about what to speak about, 
I go through a few different topics. Because I, I open up one book, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to speak about this. Then I open up another book and be like, this is so much better. And then I open up a third book and be like, what was I doing until now? And then, you know, so like, until, the, you know, as the class evolves, so when it comes into, it, it, it goes through many, many transformations. And probably, as it depends on how much I dive in, how much you guys dive in. I don't know, this wasn't probably more you than me. It's actually not probably, it's uh, fully more you than me. But, an, but when, when I came across the things that I came across, I was like, it blew my mind. It really, it, like, it took it to a whole nother level. Rosh Hashanah, this year should should completely transform you. So the oh I heard this all means. Okay, good. I wonder if those are Sfardim or Ashkenazim. Were those Sfardim or Ashkenazim? That's what I mean. You said I mean. You know what it is? I this is what I love about like this Sfardim. You just like start saying may God and they're like Amen. You know, they start giving you a bracha. It's amazing. I'm like, Ashkenazim, you're like, give bracha, I'm by you. You know, you know, you give those brachas by the weddings, you know, every, every girl, you know, like every time you go to a wedding, you know, you know, soon by you, soon by you. And, you know, Ashkenazim are like, you know, Sfardim are like, Amen. You know, thank you so much. You know, I really do appreciate it. And by all, by everybody, by all, by everybody who needs it. You know, it's something very interesting that you have. The Sfardim are, are connected like that. We should, we should all learn. In any case, there we go. There we go. Okay. So, anyways, let's get let's get to the topic at hand. Um, okay. So now, there's nothing wrong with Ashkenazim. No. Nothing wrong with Friday. A Jew is a Jew. Okay. I'm gonna get into a way different topic. I'm gonna start right now. All right. So Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is coming up. The, the, this is like the judgment. You know what it means by Rosh Hashanah? Like, I don't think you guys understand. I don't think I understand. Like, like, I'm telling you to myself. I, no, I, I don't think. I know I don't understand the awesomeness of this day. Do you understand? Imagine you have to meet in front of a judge, right? Judge Thomas, right? He's sitting over there, just waxed his head, really nice. He's got his big gravel going on over there. He's got you know, everything, everything going for him. And he's coming over there. He's going to decide for you what your next, just one year, what year one year is going to be. Are you going to be in prison? For that entire year, don't ask me what you did. That's your own imagination. One year in prison, one year, maybe a huge penalty, maybe penalty and prison, maybe just community service. service thank you. There's a word that comes out of that. Um, or it's like nothing. You go scot free. And imagine you're going to sleep that night, and you're going to go in front of Judge Thomas, and you're going to go in front and get judged. Are you going to be able to sleep that night? If you're a normal human being, no. You're going to be like so nervous. Like, what's going to be? Like, am I going to be in prison for a year? Am I going to get a fine of $250,000? Am I going to go? Am I going to have to do some community service? Am I going to have to just, you know, do nothing? Are they going to give me money? You know, do things, right? We always think we're going to get something out of it. See, what, what is going, what, you realize the severity of what it's going to be if it's just one year, what the judge is going to do. Now, certainly, what's going to be by God? God, everything that's coming this year, from this Hoshana until next Hoshana, everything that's going to happen in your life is going to get judged on this coming, whatever, September, blah, blah, blah. Um, Rosh Hashanah, right? So whenever Rosh Hashanah is coming this year, probably should have done some more research, whenever Rosh Hashanah, I think September 10th or 11th, yeah. right? 2018. That is everything from today, from that day until the next year, everything's going to be a judge. Are you going to get married? Are you, God forbid, going to get divorced? Are you going to lose someone? Are you going to gain someone? Are you going to make a million dollars? Are you going to lose a million dollars? Are you going to be healthy? Are you going to be sad? Are you going to be happy? Are you going to be the best? There's so many factors that come into play over here. Now, we don't even think about that for a second. We're like, oh, whatever, Rosh Hashanah. Yeah, dip the apple in the honey. And, you know, we go and we're singing the songs, we're dipping the stuff, we're like having a blast. And, you know, and I'm not saying there's reasons for that as well, but do we understand what's going on on this day? Do we even begin to, uh, to fathom the, the unbelievable, you know, everything is lying on over here. You're going to live or you're going to die is going to be judged on Rosh Hashanah. 
Does that not scare you? Does that not like, like start make your heart be like, oh, you know, like this is going to happen. Like something's going to be. And we don't have to wake up to turn around and see that there are people that were here last Rosh Hashanah that are not here this Rosh Hashanah. And the other way also, there are people that were not here last Rosh Hashanah and they are here this Rosh Hashanah. There are people that had no money. They were bankrupt. They were going to get foreclosed out of their house. They're going to get kicked out of everything. They're going to be on the streets. And this year they're multimillionaires. Do we understand there are people that were on the bridge of divorce and now they're happily married? There are people that thought they gave up on marriage. They said, what's the difference? I am, blah, blah, you know, I don't know, depending who whoever thinks they're old over here. Right? Some people think 22 is old. Some people think 42 is still young. So whatever it is that you think, you think, okay, I'm already 40, 40 years old. Am I not going to get married? What's going to happen? People that thought like that this year, they could be already having, not only married, they could be ready to be expecting. Do you understand the, the, uh, the amazing opportunity that you have over here? I don't think we begin to even fathom the importance of this day. So today... What we're going to try to go to is, is get to a point. I'm going to share with you a Gemara. And from that Gemara, we're going to try to understand the secrets of maybe, possibly, we can get sort of a shortcut. Everybody likes shortcuts, right? Shortcut, shortcut's a terrible word. It's incorrect. But let me say the word shortcut. We're going to get like a sort of a shortcut to get a good judgment. Think about that. Think about if I were to give you. Imagine you're about to go to Judge, you know, Thomas. I don't know why I picked Thomas. Yeah, you're going to stand in front of Judge Thomas, and he's going to go over there, and a guy comes over to you as you're walking up to the court steps, and he's going to be like, hey, psst, you know, so hey, buddy. He's like, he's like you know, this uh, judge is, uh, you know, he's my brother. Um, he says, uh, you know, I could get you in for, you know, a little, little something. Would you, well, again, again, depends on the type of person you are, but I'm saying imagine you have that opportunity. Assuming it's all legal, legal it's all kosher. Would you go and take that opportunity? Imagine a lawyer comes into you and says, hey, listen, I have a very, very close connection with the judge. You take me, I'm going to get you scot-free. How much is it going to cost you? $1.99. Right? And then you got a pack of gum, you know, I'm good. That's all I care about. Imagine the opportunity that you have. So, Bizlatrim, today, I'm going to share with you that type of opportunity, and I'm not even charge you $1.99. Okay? It's all free. All free, all the time. Okay. So, let us begin. There is a Gemara on Rosh Hashanah. The Gemara, there's a Mishnah on Rosh Hashanah, page 16a. The Gemara later explains it on two pages later on, on page 18a. The Gemara says like this. It says, it says Kol olam, All the inhabitants of the world, Ovrim lefanav, they go in front of God, Kivnei Maron. And it says the words Kivnei Maron. Now, what we're going to go, we're going to go skip two pages in the Gemara on the front. I'm going to try to, this. there's going to be three examples, three, not examples, three interpretations. What is the translation of Kivnei Maron? I'm going to give you all three. And besides from this class, we're going to learn our lessons from this Gemara. This Gemara is where we're going to branch out this entire class. So the Gemara goes like this. The Gemara says, you know what it means, Kivnei Maron? It means like sheep going out of, a, uh, out of like a, a, a pen, whatever it is that they go out of, right? I think they go in a pen, right? And they go out of that. Now, how does a shepherd count sheep? He can't be like, okay, everybody, everybody. Stay still, stay still. You know? What? Isn't that how people fall asleep? Right? You can't, like, he's, he can't like, be like, wait, 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 wait. You know, Betsy, go back, go back where you're going. You, know, like, you can't count it that way. How do you count sheep? You let them go out of the cage, and one by one, you start counting it. This way, you know, you count this one, and then it goes out. You count this one, and it goes out. That is one interpretation. What does it mean, Kivne Maron? God judges everybody. Everybody goes in front, of, uh, in front of God as if sheep are going out of pen. Meaning, one by one. That is one, one uh, interpretation. Interpretation number two. Interpretation number two is that it's, it's as if you're going through a narrow pathway, a very, very narrow pathway. Now, what, when you're going in a very, very narrow pathway, uh, you can only do one at a time. There are some places in, I'm assuming somewhere in Asia, I don't know, but you know like that you're like literally on a cliff, right? You see all the Asians with the cameras, right? You're going to go over there, you're going, to the, it doesn't mean it's Asia, it means like I'm anywhere in the world. But you're going over there, and um, you're, you're going through, the, did I get into a deep enough hole yet? Or should I keep on going? Oh, am I, am I good? Okay. So you're going over there, nothing again, I happen to be, I have to clap. <laughs> all right. So 
in essence, really, they're very smart. Why are they very smart? So when you're going on a vacation, I think it's very, very important to take pictures. Because what is the point, what is the whole point of vacation? To go and relax and you enjoy yourself and you feel calm. Now once a vacation is done, we have, tend to have a short memory span, right? We don't, I mean some people don't, some people have a longer memory span. I'm assuming the people in this room have more of a longer memory span than the people from my gender. But in general, people have a shorter memory span. Now imagine you have all these pictures. When you're going through the pictures, you're reliving the moments. So you're going on that vacation again without spending that, you know, uh, you know, thousands of dollars. So in essence, it's a very, very smart thing. People shouldn't make, you know, fun of them or, I don't know, not that anybody was making fun of them, but I'm saying it's a really, a brilliant, uh, it's, a, it's really very, very smart, strongly recommended. Okay, so shout out to my Asians, right? Okay, so um, in any case, so th- what does it mean a narrow path? A narrow path, when you're going on a narrow path, like I'm talking about a really narrow path, it's only one at a time. You can't like start going buddy buddy and you know, in a, in a really, in a one path lane where it's a cliff holy, hanging down. There's nothing to talk about. It's only one at a time. That is interpretation number two of the Gemara. Interpretation number three is of the Gemara is that it's going out like soldiers, like soldiers of King David's army. Soldiers of King David's army, they would go one at a time. The commander would say, okay, you go, you go, you go. The soldiers back then were, were str- they were soldiers, right? Now like nowadays, you know, Commander, I got a boo boo. You know, you know, you know like I need to. They, they were like, they were unbelievable. They were like warriors. They were an army on, on themselves. We have a whole time we could explain it. What, what the soldiers of King David's army, what they, what they were capable of doing. So you have over here all the Gemara is doing. The Gemara is giving you three examples denoting one exact thing. What is that? Single file, one at a time. Meaning that God judges you one at a time. Now I want to share with you something that I read from Rabbi Shimshon Pincus, and I also heard it from Rabbi Daniel Gladstein. If anybody doesn't know who Rabbi Daniel Gladstein is, he's a phenomenal speaker. I strongly recommend go to Torah anytime and go listen to his classes. Un- unbelievable. Okay, so I'm going to need to do a lot of those. Um, I realize this is going to be a screaming class. Um, I realize that now. Okay, so let me share with you something that, um, that I read with Rabbi Shimshon Pinkus. So it sounds like this. He, he quotes down Rabbi Yitzhak Blazer. Rabbi Yitzhak Blazer asks a question like this. He asks a question. He says, the Gemara just gave me three examples denoting single file, one at a time. The question is, if we're all giving me three allegories, three examples, three interpretations of what it means single file, one at a time only, why doesn't the, to- the Mishnah, the Gemara, just say, God judges everybody one at a time? Why do we need to have, can name on, and then we have to go three, three interpretations, three examples, why do we need all that? So, the, there's a Gemara in Rosh Hashanah that says that, let's say there's a king that needs to be judged, and there's also the people need to be judged. Who should get judged first? So, the, you know, the Gemara is obviously the king. Number one, it's not kavod, it's not honor to the king to let him out while other people are being judged. But furthermore, if the king gets judged last, that means that the judge is now going to be, you know how you have a judge, um, is, let's say he's judging a, you know, a bunch of cases. In the beginning of the day, let's say he woke up in a good mood, he drank his coffee, he got his good joe, and he's going, he's all in a good mood. The first guy that comes in, he's like, yeah, he did this uh, misdemeanor, he did this felony. He's like, all right, you know what, I'm in a good mood, yeah, I'll go. The next guy does the same exact thing. He'd be like, you know what, okay, I'm in a good mood. What is going to be after the tenth guy that did the same exact thing? The judge, you know, you know the, the meter is going to go down a little bit. It's going to go closer to the yellow. Imagine what the hundredth person is going to be. What about the thousand? I don't know how long this judge is going to be in court, but imagine you're going a thousand. Like eventually, the judge is going to be like, "What's going on over here? How's it going? How, you know, so many people did so many bad. He's going to get so furious already. All the people's previous previous problems are going to come and affect the person, that, you know, himself. Think about your personal day. When you have your day, if you have a great day, you come home, great mood. You're like, all right, let's go. What, clean up the house? Sure, I'll do it myself. Yeah, no problem. You come home in a bad mood, someone just looks at you the wrong way, right? There's like steam coming out of your nose and your ears, and you're like, 
you know, like, ah, oh, I'm gonna gore somebody. You know, you're gonna come over, the, you're, you're in a completely different mood. It all depends on, on the, on the mood that you had previously on the day. So if the king waits while everybody else is getting judged, then when the king goes in, he's sub, gonna be subjected to the, to all the, the problems that all the other people had. Does that make sense? So now, the, says, says Rabbi Yitzhak Blazer, it says, that the first group of people that get judged, they get judged in a good mood. They get judged in a better, you know, a better environment. They get judged more leniency, if we can call it that. But the second and third and fourth and so on, as we go further on, they're all subjected to the sins of the people in front. Now let's put that back to what we're dealing with today, where we're talking about Rosh Hashanah, where God judges everybody. Says that the pe- says says that the people that are getting judged first, they're not subjected to the people's sins from later. For people sins that are going to be, let's say, the first thousand people that get judged, you know, it's going to be a great mood, great judgment. But the later people, the people that get judged afterwards, they're going to be all subjected to the sins that are people that are in front of them. Now, ask Rabbi Zagbali, says, I don't understand, what, God is moody? God doesn't know your sins until it comes in front of you? Like, all of a sudden, God's going to be like, what, this is what you did? Like, as if God didn't know? God knew the whole thing. So what does it mean that God is judging everybody, and the earlier, and what we're saying goes over here, is the earlier that you get in line, the better off that you are. What is it referring to up here? Spencer, basically, Blazer says like this. He says that God in, in put a, a, a certain mercy into the judgment. He said that at least the first batch, at least the first batch of people, they would not be subjected to any of the people's sins of beforehand. They'll be like pure, just like me. It's just like there's nothing else that matters into the world other than me and you. It doesn't matter that the sins from, from you know, after you. All we're dealing is with what do we have right here, right now. And why did God do this? God did this as an act of mercy. Now, what does this help? Really, God knows everybody's sins. Regardless of where you're standing in line, in judgment day, God knows what you did. But when you, if you're able to somehow get earlier on in the line, your judgment is going to be all that much better. Your judgment is going to be all that more lenient. Now here, we're, let, me, let me just explain this, uh, this, this idea in a little, you know, a little bit of a parable that actually happened to me. So, probably not called a parable then, right? A story. Right, that would be a correct terminology. You guys are familiar with something called Black Friday? Right? Or, I'm sorry, African-American Friday? Right? You remember that? Okay. So, um, the, um, the idea, what is, what is, what is uh, you know, Black Friday? So when I came back from Israel, my first year, I get, um, uh, it was, so it comes up right around uh, Thanksgiving. I'm sorry, I've been a little bit out of the loop, but I'm assuming it's, it, it's not exactly as it was back then in my day, but it's something I'm assuming a little bit similar. It's about 11 o'clock at night, no, 10 o'clock at night, I get a phone call from my friend. And he's like, he's like, hey, you want to go to Black Friday? And I'm like, what's Black Friday? And he's like, it's where you go to the store and they have like crazy deals. You get like computers for like half off. You get like, uh, back then there was stereos. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that. You put like a CD, whatever. Yeah, it's like stereo. You get like stuff for like, you know, like dirt cheap. So I'm like, you know, you know, dude, I'm a Jew. Of course I'm in. You know, like a deal? Yeah, I'll buy something even if I don't need it because it's 50% off. You know, I just made money somehow. I don't know. You know, so um, I'm like, let's do it. So what's, what's the details in it? She's like, okay. Says the store opens at 5 a.m. I'm, I'm out. <laughs> you know, like I'm not waking up at 5. I'm sorry. Like it's not. You know, like 50% off or not. I'm not waking. He's like, no, no, no. You don't understand. He says you cannot wake up at 5 a.m. to get the store. You have to get the store there hours before to wait online. I was young and idiotic, so I'm like, go on. I don't know why this was enticing to me, but I'm like, yeah, you, you got my intention. Waiting online for a few hours, I'm listening. So um, he says, yeah, you go out there. People are, you know, you know waiting out line up there. You go over there, and, uh, you know, first come, first serve. You get the deals. I'm like, all right, listen. All right, we'll go. We'll hang out. We'll have a good time. Let's do it. Um, 
what we're talking about over here, we're talking about, wow, maybe 14, 15, over 15 years ago, wow. So, more, wow. How old am I? What time is it? <laughs> All right, so, um, so, so we're, we leave, he called me at 10, we left about 11. Um, we go, p.m., 11 p.m. Um, we go over there, we travel, it was about an hour, um, we didn't go to sleep that night, no. We travel over there, and we get in front of the store, and what do we think? We, think, we figure we'll get there about 12 o'clock. We'll get there about midnight. Of course no one's going to be there, because uh, who comes here so early? We're Jews, right? We come you know, five minutes after the place opens, assuming that we're the first ones. And we get over there, and we're sitting over there, and we're figuring, okay, we know, we'll hang out until you know, we see some people come, then we'll go and wait in line like, you know, like everybody else. So we get over there, 12 o'clock. There's a huge line over there already. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. It, by the way, it was so cold. that I like fished out of my trunk some gloves and scarves that thank God I had. And we're so... We go over there, I drop the guy, you know what you see, you see a bunch of people online, you're like, all right, I drive, I, I saw somebody pull up behind me, I'm like, go, go, go save our spot. You know, it was, who was it? We, we, were, we were three guys. It was me, I had my English friend from London, from Hendon, he is six foot five, um, built like someone you don't want to mess with, um, and then I had another friend from Australia, I was the only American there, um, I had another friend from Australia. Not a small guy. I was the smallest guy there. Um, and I, I park in front. I'm saying, guys, you're going to wait online. I'm going to pull up the car. I'm going to park the car, and I'm going to meet you there. So I pull up the car. I wait over there. There must have been like 40 people already in front of us. You know? And I'm sitting. I, I pull up over there. It was, so, it was so cold that we had to take turns. My car was on the entire night because we were warming up. The amount of gas, I probably, I didn't, probably lost money on that thing. But <laughs> in any case, we, were, you know, every, we had to rotate because our feet were frozen. Our hands were frozen. There were people there with tents. There were people, I'm like, how much money are you saving over here? You're coming with a tent? There were people there with those lawn chairs that were sitting over there. Just to explain the crowd that we're dealing with, um, how do I explain this? Uh, me and my friends, we stood out because of the way that we looked. Uh, is that clear? I think it is clear. We, had a, we were hanging around with a bunch of, you know, 200 other brothers that, uh, you know, not from the same mothers. Um, and, uh, you know, so we're sitting over there. We're waiting online, And uh, we're taking turns going in and out. 12 a.m. we get there. 5 o'clock, 5 a.m., the doors open. And the doors, the, you know, the second the doors open, have you ever witnessed a stampede? <laughs> I'm not talking about, like, you know, when, like, you know, there's, like, you know, cake opening up in, like, a buffet, you know, like, you know. I'm talking about, like, an animal stampede. They're like, this was something I have never witnessed before in my life. There were people that were never meant to be running in the first place, that were running faster than professional players that, you know, they, these people just booked. What do you do when you see everybody else running? You run also. Where? I don't know. You follow them. And now... You know, when I'm going over there, I don't, we don't know what we're doing. We decided this an hour before we came. Like, we didn't know what was going on over here. We didn't know what we're going to find. We're just looking for, you know, I don't know, a sale. I don't know. Where, you know, it's like, it was an experience. The doors open up. Everybody's running. So we're all running. And we're running. And we see there's, like, towers of merchandise. And people are running to the towers. So I also run to the towers. And the, 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 amount, the time it took me to get from when I saw the tower, you're talking about a tower that was maybe six feet tall. By the time I got there, there was nothing there. So I go to the next tower, and I'm running to the next tower. And by the time I got there, nothing there. And I'm, this is probably the third or fourth tower, and I'm like, I did not just spend six hours in the freezing cold, and I'm not leaving with anything. I was a very, you know, so I'm like, the next tower that I see, I am getting something. I don't care, you know, if it's a dishwasher that I don't need, I am getting something out of this. I see a thing in the distance. I 
you know, I'm, I'm, this is where I guess where my size, you know, came in. Because I was like, you know, I was weaving in and out of traffic over there. I was airborne for quite some time. I don't know, like I went vertical for a little period of time. I grabbed the box, no idea what it was. I just grabbed the box and I, and people tried to like pull it out of me. I was like, my baby, you know, I was like, it's mine, yeah? And, and I, you know, I, I got it out of there and I saw like, I, you know, I won a laptop. I, in my mind, I won it, right? It's a, you know, I got, I got a laptop. I was unbelievable. This is awesome. You know, I was so excited, so happy. I didn't know anything about this computer. I didn't even know, I didn't need a computer, I, but I, but I had a computer. So I get over there. And I find my friends. It wasn't easy. I just looked up, right? And I found my friends. And I'm like, so what did you guys get? They got nothing. I'm like, you guys are an embarrassment. You know, you know, I could, you know, you, between you two, I'm lost. I'm like, how do you guys get nothing? And I get, you know, and I get something. One of the guys actually felt really bad. He actually had bought something at full prices. I'm not either waiting for like full, you know, full hour, you know, full five hours without getting anything. He went and he took, you know, he ended up buying, you know, a laptop also. So... We get out of there, I get in line, I buy this laptop. You know how slow this laptop is? <laughs> you know, compared to what we have nowadays. You know, phones from like 10 years ago are faster than this. So, uh, you know, I, you know, I still remember it was like a $750 laptop. I bought it for like $400. I was so happy. It was like such a success. By the way, you know what this taught me? This taught me if I'm able to stand online in the freezing cold for like six hours for a dumb, stupid laptop, you know, how much more so should I be able to sit and learn for a few hours in a nice air conditioning, you know, comfort of my own home, whatever, in the basement glass? How much more can you actually go in and, you know, and appreciate this? So, and anyways, we go and we get it. Now, when I was thinking, I'm like, you know, when we were running over there, the people that were running there, they they knew where they were going. Like we were going there, we were like you know you know like looking for the food. Like oh, where are we going? I know we're like what's going on over here. People they came the you know like a day before they were doing recon. You know they came over there with like night vision goggles. They were like all right, listen, you know Charlie's going over here. You know you're going over here. You're gonna get the stereo. I'm gonna get the mixer. He's gonna get the flat screen. We're gonna meet together and we'll split the merchandise. There were people they were going with like complete. We just were going blind and we were just going. Now it makes sense. People who were showing up there, you know, an hour beforehand. Now when we were waiting online. God forbid if you even looked at the person in front of you. If you looked at the person in front of you, thank God I was with my people, you know, my peeps that were over six feet tall, right? If you even looked at the people in front of you, like, you know, like, you know, they were like, they just like moved their launchers up a little bit more. It's like, there's no cutting. There was like, you are not messing with that line. Imagine what it means to get one more in front of that line. That could mean laptop or no laptop, right? Getting in, you know, mama's going to let you home, mama's not going to let you home with that flat screen. You know, depending what's going to be, there's a big difference over here. Imagine what it means getting one more in line in that, t- in that time. And, and I could only imagine if somebody there, people would pay. Here, I'll give you five bucks, let me cut you off. You know, they think, okay, I'll get another, whatever, another, another piece of merchandise, whatever it is that they're going to be. Now, imagine what it is on Rosh Hashanah. Imagine what you could be. Now, think about this. If you're going to be able to go just one person in front of you in line, that means that you're not subjected to the sins of the person behind you. So everybody in front of you, all their sins, that all... Now, I can't say that it comes in you because you don't get punished for it. But the... Let's call it the mood. We can't call it the mood. But let's... The, like the atmosphere changes a little bit. The way that you're going to get judged changes a little bit. Now, if you would be able to get just one person in front of the line, wouldn't that make all the more difference? Wouldn't that make all the more of the craziness of the judgment that you're going to be getting if you could get in front of the line? Now, today what we're going to be speaking about is how do we get in front of the line? How do we get to the top of the line? So... Yeah. I understand. You're saying that does judge like that? Yes. It's based on who's in front of the line. Very good question. How is this up? God is, is out of space and time. How is God subject in time? So, the way that God orchestrated the judgment is He made it in a way that resembles the judgment in this world. The way that the judgment is resembled in this world, it depends on all these factors. So, too, God did it that way. Now, why did God do it that way? 
it's a very big mercy for it. Because think about it, there's two options. Everybody gets judged at one time, in which case every, God knows all this, everything gets in, into factor at one time. You see how the world is doing good and great. I'll let you to be the judge of that. Um, or you can look at it from the other angle that it's one at a time. Everybody in front doesn't get subject, even if you're the second to the last, that's better than getting judged all at once. So in essence, this is a more of a merciful judgment than any other other possible option. Does that make sense? Except for the last guy. I pity the last guy. Yeah. <laughs> pity is not the right word. But anyways, let's move on. Question? Move on. Next. Okay, let's go. So, um, okay. So now, let's look at the Gemara that we spoke about before. The Gemara is like this. We gave three interpretations on what it means that you're going single file on Rosh Hashanah. You're getting judged one at a time. Now, when you think about it like this, there, this is a secret in each in itself. First thing that we said is that the sheep, the sheep get moved by a pen one at a time. Now, what does that mean? Now, if you go and you ever watch sheep going out of a pen, why? I don't know. It's your life. Okay, this is your story. Don't, don't ask me questions. All right, you're going and you're watching a sheep go out of a pen. Now, sometimes you'll notice it. How? I've seen it. Okay, this is my life. All right, whatever. So you're going and you see that there's sometimes, so there's, there's, when you open up the pen, you see it. It's like all the sheep like try to go out at the same time. It's like, no, no, me, 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 you know, like all, you know, whatever. It's all at the same time. Now, when you're, when they're going over there, sometimes you see a sheep that's like, it's like right by the entrance. It's like right there. But like no one's letting him cut the line. Everyone's like, you know, like going right in front of him. And he just needs to make that like left turn and he just needs to get in there. But he can't get in there. Who is the one that gets first? The stronger sheep, right, the one that, I don't know, sold more wool, right, the stronger, whatever, they ate more grass. The stronger sheep are the one that get to go first. The weaker sheep, unfortunately, get pushed to the back or they get slower and slower. You want to know one way to get in front of the line? You got to be stronger. Now, it doesn't mean stronger, you got to go to the gym, you got to lift more weights. You got to be stronger spiritually. The righteous people, they get pushed to the front of the line. Now, that's very nice and dandy, but we're talking about a few weeks before Lanshanak. Can we turn to be righteous? Righteous? Um, and the answer is yes, you can. But we're not going to be dealing with that today. Right, that's know your thing. We're going to give it a little bit of an easier way. God forbid, oh God, we'd be, be righteous. Um, yeah, <laughs> it can't work. Right? And we're Americans, come on. Um, so, I was about to say a joke. You, you realize, okay, do you, anybody, anybody who knows me knows what I'm about to be say. Okay, okay, I'm going to move on. Okay, so now, that was one interpretation, the, the sheep. Another interpretation was that the soldiers of King David's army the soldiers of King David's army, how did you get, how did you get first? Whoever the king picked. You got this one, go first. This one, go first. This one, it depends whoever picked to go first. Now, how, that's how it goes also on Rosh Hashanah. Some people just get lucky, they get to go in front of the line. And it's not really all based on luck. It depends on what God decides. God's gonna be like, okay, you go in front of the line. You go in front of the line. Now, there's two ways, well, actually, there's many ways, but I'm explaining two ways. One way is God just to decide, you're, you're gonna get to the front of the line. Another way is that imagine you do something, that is so amazing, that's so unbelievable, the mitzvah that you did just like blew it all over the top. You just like, you just got to the front of the line. There are certain things that you could do. Now, it could be any, any single mitzvah. It could be any mitzvah, kivut of aim. But you do something above and beyond your regular thing, that could just push you into the front of the line. That's, uh, that's another, that's another option. Also pretty difficult. How are you gonna start figuring out what's gonna push you in front of the line? You should be righteous and you should do big, do the biggest mitzvah. But the last one is the one that I'm gonna be explained and, and, um, and I think this is gonna be the, the, you know, the one that we're gonna be focusing on today. I say think because who knows what's gonna happen. Um, so the last one we said, the narrow path. A very, very narrow path. Now, when you're traveling on a narrow path, who gets to go first on the path? The fir- well, not necessarily a bully, because if you're already the first one, the bully's not going to throw you off. Uh, well, change schools if it is. Uh, but you're, the way that it goes is first come, first serve. The first guy who gets in front of the line gets to go first. The second guy gets to go second. The third guy gets to go third. So on and so forth. 
The secret, the unbelievable secret of Washna. You want to get to the front of the line? It's very simple. Show up there first. You show up there first, you get in front of the line. And it doesn't mean you have to camp out in front of the synagogue, you know, a week beforehand, be like, all right, I'm first in the synagogue, I'm going to be over here, we're going to go, you know, we're going to pray, we're going to be... It means getting ready. It means getting ready for Rosh Hashanah. How do you get ready for Rosh Hashanah? Anybody? Chuba, thank you, very good. You do repentance, you start going and fixing yourself, that means you're saying, God, I realize Judgment Day is coming, I'm getting ready, I'm getting first in line. I'm not waiting for Black Friday, 12 a.m., like the Jewish guy, that, you know, I'm coming, Jamal came in, right, the day before, right back closing time, he was there, and he's like, Mama, I'm going to get you that microwave, I'm going to be over there, I'm going to get it right, you're getting the front of the line. If you're getting in the front of the line, you're going to have all that more of a better judgment. That is the, one secret, the first secret that we're going to be discussing today. The first thing is, you want to get a good judgment, get in front of the line. How are you going to get in front of the line? First come, first serve. Get ready for Rosh Hashanah. Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't wait till, you know, Elif Rosh Hashanah. Be like, oh my God, judgment day. Okay, fine. Uh, where's the cherry box? You know, let me go over here. I probably should dress modestly today. You know, like, d- don't start then. Start right now, right here. The Rav Shimshim Pikas goes on and says like this, and says, thank you for whoever filled this. So, Rav Shimshim Pikas says like this. He says, when God judged, this is the second lesson that we're learning, when God judged one at a time, what does it mean one at a time? When a father or any parent has a child, let's say they have 15 children, right? That they have, you know, you know there's some families that actually do have this, and it's very good, you know, you have, they have, you know, many, many children. God forbid, chas v'shalom, which never happened to any one of us, but God forbid, imagine they lose one child. They have 14 other ones. They lose a child. There's a guy that comes to the Shiva house. There's always going to be one person that's going to say something so idiotic that you just want to kick him out and say, just never enter a Shiva house ever again in your life. And imagine this guy walks in and says, you know, I'm really sorry for your loss. I really, you know, I'm sorry about that. But you got, you got 14 other ones at least. You know, like you got 14 other ones. Right? You know, like, what is the father going to be like? I'd be like, oh, you know what, you're right. Like, you know, I... You know, 14 out of 15 is not that odds, you know? Like, it was like, no, of course not. When a father, God forbid, when any parent loses a child, it doesn't matter if they have a hundred or a thousand other children. It doesn't matter. Every single child is just, that's all it is. Imagine you're going, you're, you know, some night you, God forbid. There's a, there's a parent that's walking through the, through the park, middle of the night. Sees a bunch of teenagers up to no good. They're passing out around a uh, straw, right? They're passing out a straw. And uh, they're taking puffs out of this straw. And... Um, the father is, you know, like any, any good Brooklyn, uh, you know, person, just, you know, avoid eye contact. You know, someone's getting stabbed in the bushes and be like, I am not a witness. I don't know what's going on over here. Just, you know, do your thing. Uh, and you're going over there. And all of a sudden, the father, out of the corner of his eye, catches his, I recognize one of, that, one of those kids. And he gets a closer look and be like, oh, look at that. It's my child. And he goes up to the child. The child's about to take a, you know, sip of the straw. And he knocks off the straw right out of we're talking about, uh, you guys know what we're talking about. Okay. Uh, he knocks that straw right out of the hand, and, and the, the kid goes to say, he says, you know, he says, he says, what are you doing? What are you wasting your life over here with these low lights? What is going on? He says, Dad, what are you doing? Why, why are you hitting me only? He says, there's four other guys over here. Guys, Dad's going to be like, I don't care about those guys. I care about you. You're my son. What do I care about them right now? I care only about you. He says, when God judges every single person, you know what I mean, single file? It doesn't matter about anybody else in the world at that point in time. When you're getting judged by God, it's just you and God. No one else. It doesn't matter anything else. The importance of this is so significant. Because what, what, what is the, the, the idea over here? You realize something very interesting. When God goes and God... Um, uh, you know when we have, a, for example, the men have a brit. The, when does a child get named? The boy gets named by the brit. The woman gets, the, the girl gets named by a Sefer Torah, which is called Sefer Habrit. Habrit is a covenant. Covenant is like a treaty. 
Because God says, says, when I'm making a treaty with this Jew, I'm not making a treaty with a Jew. I'm making a treaty with you, with Yitzchak, with Rivka, with whoever it is that you are. Which means is, is that the time that you're having a Brit, or the time that you're getting named by a Sefer Brit, is going to be only when you are somebody, when you are something with an essence, when you have a name. That's who you are. God is not saying, I have a treaty with all the Jews. No. God has a treaty with Ruven, Shimon, Rivka, Rachel, Leah. God has a treaty with every single one. It's a personal relationship. It's just you and God. There's nothing else. Listen to this fascinating idea. It's unfortunate when we are going in our days and we're going, <clears throat> so I'm going to be losing my voice. All right. <clears throat> you know how you know that the Satan is trying to make it, that it's not going to go, not going to be good. I come over here, I wasn't feeling well, you know, and, and you can't, before Shana, I need all this school. I don't know about you guys. I need all the merits possible. So I'm like, I got to give as much shulim as I can. I got to plow it out there. Regardless, sick, not sick, it doesn't matter. But then I get over here to the class, and then I finally get over here. I'm, who knows how many medication. I get over here, there's no SD card over here. Satan is really just like that. They're going, they're running back and forth. Satan's gonna try to take my voice away. Mazel tov, we should have only a, um, a good voice and we should be healthy. But, <clears throat> this cannot stop us. We gotta move on over here. Listen to this idea. Unfortunately, nowadays, when we go and we do, God forbid, when we do a sin, sometimes, for some people, it sort of relaxes us and be like, well, everybody else is doing it. You know, like it doesn't make, it's not so bad, well, everybody else was doing it. So it sort of puts us in a, in a situation where like, alright, it's not as bad. This is a very, very incorrect, incorrect idea. You're not getting judged with everybody else. God is judging you just one-on-one. You're just one-on-one person. It doesn't matter if a thousand other people spoke Lashon HaRa. It only matters if you did it. And if you did it, it's only God and you that is judging it. So this excuse where everybody else did it, is, it it's, it's not applicable. Says Rabbi Dessler in Mechtav Meliyahu. Says something like this. He says that, uh, and this we're going to go into our third idea. <clears throat> he says something very, very scary. This is a, it's something very true, but you don't realize it until you think about it. And I want to quote for you what he said. What a person wants, that's what he is. I want to repeat that. What a person wants, that's what he is. We know that the, on Kamoshana, the book of the, the, the living and the book of the dead are open in front of you. It says Rab Desarad, a fascinating chidush, a fascinating, you know, interpretation of this. He says, what does it mean a book of the living, book of dead? In essence, I'll tell you the truth. When I first read this, this, uh, you know, Mikhtar Meliyahu from Rab Desar, I wanted to give my entire class just on this topic. But then I read the Shimshim Pikas and I said, no, I have to give this topic of this. Then maybe we'll do this on a, on a different day. But I want to share with you a brief idea on what, what Rab Desar explains over here. He says there are certain people that all they care about is things that are dead. They care about materialistic ideas. They don't care about the spiritual ideas. They chase after things that are not forever. They're not internal. They're things that are just going to die. Things that are materialistic. Those people are considered dead. The people that are alive are the people that are chasing after spirituality. The people that are chasing after the chiyas. The people that are chasing after things that are lasting for eternity. Those are the people that are alive. People, so it says that God, there's, there's God is sitting in front of the books of the dead and the books of the living. These are both people in this world. There are people that are dead in this world and there are people that are alive in this world. Because it all depends on who you are and what you are. He goes and explains the idea of kafakela. Kafakela we spoke about, and I am not going to spend a lot of time in this. We spoke about this in, in our Dibukim classes. There, after a person, after a person passes away, they, uh, if they did many bad things, they don't get to go into the other world, they stay in the in-between stage. And they get flinged from one part of the world to the other part of the world. What does it mean they're getting flinged from one part of the world to the other part of the world? We gave many, many stories about this in our classes on, you know, exorcisms and possessions, that when a person goes and a person dies, they still had a foul mouth. 
They still wanted to do foul things, sins, and they still wanted to do all these bad things. But how? You're in the other world already. You're not alive anymore. You don't have the satan. You don't have the etzara. How can you be chasing after these? How can you use foul language? And the answer is, it's because who you are. You can't change who you are in the next world. Whoever you are right here, that's it. Comes, comes 120. Game over. That's who you are. You cannot change it. You are a jealous person. You're, if you, if you are a person that didn't speak with a clean mouth, you're not speaking with a clean mouth over there. You cannot change yourself. That is who you are. Which means that if you are dead over here, you're dead over there. You're spiritually what you are right over here. It says Rav Dessler, it says, you know, there are certain people that, you know, let's say they're going and they're trying to spread, you know, Torah, they're trying to spread things. There's an idea of things that come out of the heart go into the heart. If you, and, and the idea of like this is that if you want to sell something, if you want to be a good salesman, you got to believe in your product. If you don't believe in your product, you're not selling anything. Like, yeah, this is a very good, uh, you know, phone, you know, it's got like a camera that's going to take pictures, it's going to look make you make you look better than you're really looking at your life. You know, it's got, you know, a good battery life, you can be able to, you know, text and, you know, selfies and uh, do all your things. If you don't believe in what you're selling, you're not going to be able to sell it. If you believe it with a passion, you're going to be able to sell it. And it's not only for spiritual audience, of course, it's also for anything. Things that come out of the heart go into the heart. If you're trying to convince someone to be more religious and you don't believe in what you're saying, you want my opinion? Still say it. But it's not going to go into this heart. It's not going to make that effect if, if you believe something. Because it affects. Things that go out of a heart go into a heart. Why? Because this is who you are. And Rav Dessa brings an example from, from Yoravam Benevat. Yoravam Benevat was officiating a, a temple that he constructed in Bethel. This was a, not a temple towards God. It was towards idolatry. And um, there was a prophet of God that went over to him and wanted to condemn him in the name of God. And while he was condemning him, the, the, the temple that he, the altar, I'm sorry, that he erected for this idolatry purpose, it split open. This is a story in Malachim, I think it's chapter 13. He's, he's, you know, he split it open. And the, so it's very obvious that, you know, there's some sort of like, you know, God's hand going on over here. Yerevan didn't take that. He lifted his hand up in order to go and to call the people to arrest him, to arrest the prophet of God. And when he lifted up his hand, the prophet, you know, Yerevan was not able to put down his hand. It was sort of like it just got stuck there. So Yerevan ben Avad realized that this is because of what he was about to do to this prophet. So he goes to the prophet and he says, pray for me. And I want to quote you this pasuk. It says, <laughs> He says, entreat now your God and pray for me. Says the commentator, says the Mepharshim, what does it mean, pray to your God? Yerevan ben Avad, a Jew. He's like, well, you pray to your God, it's not my God, is that your God? Just, he said specifically, pray to your God. And what does it mean? Because he knew that he was doing something conflicting. He was about to serve idol. He was about to serve something other than God. So he had to say, pray to your God. So the prophet said, okay, I'll pray to my God. And he prayed to his God. And it says in the end of the pasuk, And it was like it was originally. Meaning that he was able to put his hand down. But then Farshim explained it differently. I want to explain it differently. They add on to this explanation. They say, what does it mean that that it was like it was before? It was like it was in the beginning. That after all this, after everything that had happened with the Yeravan ben after his hand froze, and then all of a sudden he prayed, and he was able to bring it down, guess what he did? After the whole thing, he went back to officiating his temple. He went, after all that, he went back to officiating the temple. You want to know why? Because he said, pray to much, pray, pray, pray to your God, pray to your God. It was all external. It wasn't anything internal. It wasn't anything that was really changing. We come Rosh Hashanah, and we say, okay, God, I'm sorry, please, you know, Amazon shopping. You know, God, I want to have, you know, uh, you know, please give me this. I need a pool. I need this. I need, I need a vacation to the Bahamas. It's been a while. You know, you have a whole list of Amazon shopping that you're going to get. And you should. And you should pray for whatever you want. But you're going over there. 
I'm going to be a better person. But what happens when it is, unfortunately, unfortunately, and it, you know, even, even still, it's still, at least it's something. But imagine how much more powerful it's going to be if we actually internalize it. When we're actually going and say, God, you know what? We're going to be better people. How many people, myself included, do we come to Washington and be like, God, this year, different. New year, new me, right? Getting on the treadmill and you come on the next year and guess what? You're 10 pounds heavier or whatever it is. Like you're coming over there and like, what happened? You got to believe in what yourself. You got to really, really, you really got to go into it. When you're going and say, don't go, go and be like, okay, I'm going to come to Robinson right now. I'm going to shave my head. I'm going to go. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to start, you know, whatever. Do something that you could do, but do it. Do it with, with, a, with a power. Do it with emotion. The idea over here is, is that when you're coming before God, before Rosh Hashanah, we're coming, we're doing tshuva. It's a very, very important idea to be true to yourself. Realize who you are. Don't, no. Fake it, it's good. Fake it till you make it good. But imagine the power that's going to be if you're actually true to yourself. The, you know, one of the, one of the biggest pet peeves that I have, I think I have a lot of pet peeves, not one of the biggest, one of them, um, is that you're coming in front of, um, you're coming in front of God, even before that, you know, like I thought even before. Um, I speak to people that are very, very obviously uh, not religious. How do I know that? They tell me. Um, and, um, and I say, you know, like, how's your relationship with God? So they're like, no, we're good. We, you know, we got, a, we got an understanding. And then they do something. When they do this, I'm like, I'm, I, like, like my heart like goes up for joy. And then I'm like, I'm going to crush you. I like, so it's like mixed feelings that I have over here. They do something like this. So I go, me and God, they pound their chest twice. They kiss their lips. And they point up to God. I'm like, are you Mike Tyson? Did you just win a fight? But I like to thank my Lord, you know, for, for helping me, you know, kill this guy. You know, like, what are you, what, what's, what are you, what is it? I'm like, what are you doing? Like, you're pounding God's heart, you know, like, what, are, you, are you God type? Like, what's going on over there? I'd be like, yeah, yeah, you know, like, me and God, we have an understanding. I'm like, cool. Um, you keep Shabbat? No. Um, you keep kosher? I'm like, no. Like, can you please share me this uh, agreement that you have with God? I would like to get in on it. You know, this is unbelievable. I'm like, what do you mean you have a, you know, this understanding with God? People, unfortunately, and this is all of us, we think that we're good. We're you know, like, you know, I'm a righteous, I'm righteous, man. I'm righteous. You know, I'm, you're, you're thinking of yourself at such a high level. But if you're not true to yourself, then where are you? You're, if you're fooling yourself, then there's nothing that you can fix it with. You think that you're good, then you're done. And even if you're a very, very righteous person, even if you do everything correctly, there's always something that could be done better. Imagine, and one of the most important things that when you're doing a mitzvah, the emotion, the involvement that you're putting over here. So you pray every day, it's amazing. But how is your connection to God? The connection, the the connection that you have to God. Where is that? Are you connected to God? Are you able to? So you're praying, you're modest, you do all these things, but do you have this connection to God? Do you have this this personal connection that you can speak to with God? And if you don't, then that is something that you should work on becoming this Lashana. I think that is something so important that you can build a connection to God. You're talking to God, you have this connection, you know that God loves you, you have the Munai, but there's so many factors that come into place over here. And if not, how many things do we have to work out? You know, we have to work on our anger, our humility, our modesty, you know, the things that we listen to, the things that we see. There's so, the, the list goes on and on. All we have to do is open our eyes and realize what it is that we have to do to get ready come Rosh Hashanah. That is, I think, number three. Number four. Number four is something that, uh, you know, Rabbi Shimshon Pinkus goes on and explains regarding judging others. Rabbi Saul Salanter goes, Rabbi Shimshon Pinkus quotes Rabbi Saul Salanter. And he says, when we, when, we should, first of all, we should never judge others. And we'll speak about that soon. But when we do judge others, because, you know, unfortunately this does happen, we should never judge somebody based on intellect. You have to, you should judge somebody based on emotion. Now what does that mean? When you do something wrong, when you do a sin, when you do something bad, 
What is the first thing that comes to your mind? Okay, I know I did something bad, but the second thing right afterwards, there's a list of excuses that come out. People come and they talk to me and they tell me about the sins, that, and I've heard literally the worst of the worst. I've heard people say the worst of the worst. They say, listen, I did a very, 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 very bad thing. And trust me, they did. And they did this bad thing, and they said, I know it was bad. <clears throat> what usually comes right afterwards is a, you know, excuses. But I was drunk. But I was brought up this way. But I wasn't religious. But I didn't really know. But ba 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 ba. There's a whole list of things that we need to do. When we go and we know that we did something bad, we give ourselves a list of excuses. Okay, you did something bad, but it's not really that bad. You know, and they give a whole list of, list, of, list of things. The way that we judge ourselves, that's the way that we're supposed to judge others. Just like you give yourself excuses for everything bad that you do, you see somebody else do something bad, give them excuses. Give her excuses. Okay, maybe she doesn't know, maybe this. Give her excuses just like you. You have to, there's a mitzvah in the Torah. There's a biblical commandment that you have to love your friend like yourself. What does that mean? Just like you give excuses for yourself, give excuses for your friend. I'm not saying that you should give excuses for yourself, but you know, let's talk, let's talk you know, realistic of what's going on over here. So, when we're doing over here, we have to go and we have to think, when we look at other people, stop judging other people for what you see. Give them the reasons. You have questions? Can we, let, let's hold it off because I realize how late it is and <clears throat> we're like almost half. Wait, there. So, um, so, I'm not at the point where I can say if anybody wants to leave, they can leave. But we're almost there. So, uh, no, but I'm just kidding. But if everybody does, we're, we're going to be here just a short while longer. So if anybody, I know we started a little bit late. It was my fault because of the SD card. I, you know, went through the story already. But if anybody does need to leave early, you know, no hard feelings. Um, you probably will miss very important life-changing. Whatever, okay, no, no. To each your own. Okay, so now, no, no, by all means. So, says Rav Shemshem Pika, something like this, something unbelievable. Says, you know, sometimes two people do the same exact sin. You're doing the sin with your friend together. But comes the next world. Says Rabbi Shimon, because it's something you go up there, it's Olam Afuk, it's an opposite world, it's a changing of a world. The, the, there's some things that you see, like the people that were honored in this world, they're gonna be in a very low place in the next world. People that were very low in this world, they're gonna be very high in the next world. It's a, it's a changing world. Sometimes you're gonna go up there, two people do the same exact thing, God is gonna hold you accountable, accountable, but the other person is not gonna be accountable. It's gonna be, I don't know, there's a thousand things that come to, to the idea with the, you know, the reasons of what gets punished, what gets judged. There's so many things. There's so many times that unfortunately we go, okay, somebody else did the same sin, somebody else did the same thing. Stop thinking like that. It's only you and only God. If that other thing, give him excuses. He shouldn't get judged for what he did. For X, Y, and Z, whatever it is that you want to make up. You always think about the other guy's problem. There's an emotion that comes into effect when you're judging somebody else. And I'll give you this, this, uh, this example. Imagine you're driving on the highway, right? So we're all from Brooklyn. I'm assuming most of us are from Brooklyn. When we drive on the highway, we, we think that the highway belongs to us. Everybody else is visitors. They're guests coming onto our highway. And so when you're driving on the highway, God forbid, may God have mercy on this soul if someone, God forbid, cuts you off, right? Right? Because, of course, the only rightful punishment should be, you know, the worst death possible on this. You know, like, God, you know, like, seriously, the, you know... The, I've been taking rides with people when I was younger. The amount I'm like, oh my gosh! I'm like, how do you are not on so many medications just to relax yourself before you drive? Uh, but imagine that this is a, you know you're you're driving over there. If somebody, if somebody even dares to even think, if someone even just puts on a blinker, right, to think of coming into your lane, death upon that, right? You know, like you know, all of a sudden you're ISIS, right? You know, like there is nobody going on over here. So God forbid somebody goes and cuts you off, right? Chas you know, you should never know from these things, right? But someone goes and cuts you off. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> so somebody goes and cuts you off. You're going, and and you know you're in a mood, right? Because you had a great day, and uh, you're gonna be like, oh, this guy's cutting me off. You do the only rightful thing that a Brooklyn person does, and uh, you cut that guy off right back. And what do you do? One of the smartest things that anybody could ever do while traveling over 60 miles per hour is cut a guy off and then slam on the brakes. 
Because um, you're going to show him. And you're going to show your bumper and the mechanic and the whatever, the people afterwards. You go over there, you drive, you cut the guy off, and you slam with the brakes. The guy, you know, slams also, and then you go, and then you play the whole tag game um, that's going on over there. And the guys, you know, now that guy cuts you off, and you cut that off. This is going, you know, you know, <clears throat> two, three times. Finally, you know, you're like getting so angry. Finally, that guy pulls up right beside you. Right beside you, right? This is World War Three happening right over here. Right? <clears throat> and he rolls down his window. And he tells you to roll down the win- your window. And you're like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll roll down my window. <laughs> you know, you roll down your window. You're about to spew on him the blessings of the Torah, right? And you turn to him. And before you're able to say anything, he says, my wife is pregnant in the back. She's giving birth. Can you let me go? What is the first thing that you want to do besides drive off the bridge and bury yourself? <laughs> You're going to give him an escort. You're going to be like, you're going to plug in your phone to the Bluetooth. You're going to put on some sort of, you know, sirens. You're going to go, get out of the way. There's somebody here with a... All of a sudden, are you angry at that person? No, you feel like two cents. You're like, I can't believe it. You know, I'm so sorry. You know, like, please, you're going to go over there. You're going to be his doula, right? You're going to be over there and be like, you could do this. Come on, you got this. You know, you're going to be there. You're going to be the free nanny. You're going to be like, if you need babysitting, I'm, you know, I'm available until 18 years old. You know, I'm, you know, I don't know what I was thinking over there. I'm so sorry. You know, you're going to go over there. What changed? The guy still cut you off. What changed? The idea of what changed? All of a sudden, just one simple idea changed. He might be more important than you in this type of situation. Maybe he needs to go a little faster than you. Think about that. Think about that idea. Someone asked me this before my, my men's class. So interesting. It says he was driving in front of... Uh, um, there's always stories about driving in Brooklyn. right? <laughs> it, it, Brooklyn and Israel. Have you ever driven in Israel? If you think Brooklyn, Brooklyn people drive like like maniacs, but everything's like straight, right? It's like blocks, you know? so it's like squares. Israel, there's like hills, and then there's like you know you, you know you're airborne. If you're going in a taxi across the street, you know because like I thought that's you know like and he's eating garinim and he's spitting it in your face, right? He's sitting over there, and first of all they have stick shift over there, right? And they're driving with one hand because one hand they're eating and they're like doing all these things, traveling at you know at about 700 miles per hour. And they're going over there. You get in the car. You're like, you know, you're like, you know, you get over, you know, like in a roller coaster over there. You're saying tefillat adel. You're saying she'ah malad. You're just going two blocks away over there, and you're literally getting, you know, airborne. You know, you you want to see real road rage? Go to Israel. Oh ha, ah. you know, oh you see over there. And if you understand Hebrew, have mercy on your soul. Okay, so. For Israel, it's not laws. It's not laws. It's just like if you want, you know, you could go by this. If you don't want, you don't need to. You know, you go what you want. You know, you say, you know, you go like this. Um, you know, and he comes and says, I was a fighter pilot, you know, in the army. Don't worry, you know. So um, he's going over there. But imagine, you know, if God forbid someone, someone cuts off an Israeli, you know, cab driver. Because um, they've been in the army. They don't just talk, you know. They come in there, hold my garinim, you know, he's like, comes out over there, hold my cigarette, yeah, take my beer, oh, no, 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 you know, that. so you go, anyways, so, so, um, where were we, what are we talking about, why are we talking about driving, oh yeah, so, um, road rage, right, where we are we, um, he wasn't upset at him, what are we even doing here today, good night guys, okay, alright, so, um, no, in essence, Oh, right, right. Oh, so this is what happened Tuesday. Okay. What would I do if you guys were not being here? This <laughs> <laughs> camera would be just been off for like seven hours. I was just like talking. All right. So the idea is like this. The idea is that this guy was driving. Um, and this guy was in Brooklyn. And this guy, this guy kept, he said he got into accident almost three times. He was so upset about this guy honking this and that. And he finally got in front of him. And he turned around. And he saw it was his rabbi. Oh. 
You saw it was his rabbi, right? And I said, don't stop right there. I'm like, were you still angry at him? I'm like, I felt so bad. You know, you know, I'm like, imagine what you say. Like, imagine you're honking, you're honking. And the rabbi is like, you know, you pull up and you're about to say some, you know, nice, sweet words to this person who forgot to drive. And you're going over there and the rabbi turns out and be like, but no, you, you need help, groceries or something. You know, like, I, you know, I just want to, I saw you, I wanted to help. You know, like, what are you going to go? What changed in the scenario? You realize what tiny little aspect change? You realize when you get angry, when you get upset, when you get in a situation, one tiny iota, one tiny little thing changes everything. So when we get upset, when we go and we judge others, when we go and do that, if you have just one little idea, one little idea, one little inkling what's going on through the other person's mind, you will never judge that other person. You realize there's so many other things that are going through that person's, their person's mind. A person goes and they start cursing you and they start doing that. You don't know what happened to that person. That person could have just lost a child. And then when you, you know, you're about to you know, be like, oh, you, know, you come to me? He's like, I'm from Brooklyn. Forget about it, you know? It says that on the sign as you go in, right? You know that. Right? You go, you're coming over there like, I'm not going to take this from anybody. But if you realize maybe that person went through something, stop judging the other person for a second. And think maybe that other person, whatever, given the benefit of the doubt, given this idea, that maybe possibly they are more correct than you are. The, <clears throat> this is the idea when we're dealing with what we spoke about in the beginning of the Gemara. Let's go back and try to learn this lesson from the Gemara that we said. We said <clears throat> that every, every, uh, every person goes back like a sheep, like God's counting a sheep. What is a sheep? Every sheep is valuable to the farmer. It's like one. Okay, now, you ever see a guy who didn't make any money, um, and then all of a sudden he made like five grand, and he gets five grand of like in the $100 bills. Watch him count that money. He's going to be like, one, two, no, wait, I'm sorry. One, two, Three, no, sorry. You know, and he's there for like 10 hours just counting his money again, licking it, smelling the cocaine, off, whatever he's doing, you know, off the pills. Whatever he's doing, he's really going and he's still, and he's, you're, you're, it's like every single hundred dollar bills. Another, ah, it's another this, another that. Everything is, it's so precious. It's, it's all that there is. The same idea when you're looking that there's a narrow path. When the narrow, there's a narrow path, there's only one person on the path. That's it. It's only you right here, right now. Nothing else. When God comes to judge you, it doesn't matter. It's irrelevant what everybody else did. It doesn't matter. It's only you and God at that point in time. There's a sheep. It's only you and God. It's only one at a time. Everything is so important. A soldier. What happens when we said it's a soldier? Like King David's army. A soldier, the Gemara says, that it's as, it's as if King David's speaking a soldier. One at a time. What is a soldier? So each soldier has its own mission. A soldier can't be like, why did I get the walkie-talkie? Why can't I get the, you know, the sniper? Because your communications, he's a sniper. What are you asking questions? You have different missions in life. You know, unfortunately, there are people in our lives that this person may appear more successful than this one. It's different missions. This person got married before this one. It's a different mission. This person had a child before this one. It's a different mission. Their people have different missions in this world. Stop judging yourself compared to others. Stop going and looking at others and be like, okay, if that person did this, then I could do it. Okay, if that person, you know, stop. it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter anybody else. It only matters between you and God. So this is the idea that we spoke about first. Let's, let's do a quick recap so we can move on. Number one, we said something very important. This is the most important thing that I could tell you today. Well, one of the most important things I could tell you today. You want to have a successful judgment? Get first in line. Get first to the judgment. Start preparing for Rosh Hashanah tonight. You get out of, start doing it right now. You don't have to listen to me anymore. Start, just like start making a list, right? Start thinking about what am I going to do to change? What am I going to do to go and start and be a better person that I get a better judgment on this Rosh Hashanah? That's number one. Number two, don't judge others. Stop judging others. You don't know them. You don't know what they're going through. Don't judge others. I'm going to speak about this soon. Number three, judge yourself correctly. Stop comparing yourself to others. If everybody else did it, then I could do it. 
Be true to yourself. Like we said for Rabbi Dessler, if you're not true to yourself, you're never going to get anywhere in life. Be true. You have deficiencies. We all do. We all have problems. We all have issues we need to work on. Be true to yourself. Figure it out and start working on it. You don't have to change your whole personality, but change something. Take something. Number four, when God judges you, He judges you. He doesn't compare you to the people that just because everybody else, you guys all went to this non-Jewish concert together, so he's judging all of you, you know, together. It doesn't, that's not, it's just you. You are it alone. That's it. Now I want to speak to you about something regarding judging others, because I feel this is very, very important. There's a Gemayin Shabbat, page 127a. And bear with me, we'll say a little bit Hebrew words. Because how, this is how it's so, so important. Shishat varim. There are six things that Adam ochel porotehem ba'olam hazeh. That man eats the, the fruits in this world. Meaning that man eats the profits in this world. V'hakeren kayemet lo la'olam haba. But the principle remains for the next world. There are six things that you get rewarded in this world. The profits and the principle remains for the next world. Interested to hear about these things? It's good stuff, right? You gotta get rewarded in this world also. Very important things. What? Yeah, very good. Very good. People pray. It's a good job. Okay. Ve'eluhen. Hachnasat ochim. Anybody know what hachnasat ochim is? Guests. Having guests. Having guests come over to your house. Yeah, they bring a mask. Yeah, you have to cook extra. But having guests that come to your house is a reason why Avraham Avinu did this. It's something that's very important. There's obviously something very, very important. Hachnasat ochim, having guests in your house. That's number one. Uviku cholim, going and visiting the sick. This doesn't apply just to seminary girls. They have to follow some sort of quota in Israel. You know, I don't know whoever's been here in Israel. They have to go. I don't know if they still do that. They still do that? Chesed hours. You gotta still, you know, catch your quota. This is something very, very important. Uh, you know, Biku Cholim, you're going and you visit somebody that's sick. Somebody that doesn't have any visitors. Somebody, the, some, the more annoying that person is, the greater the reward is. I'll just give you, you know, that, that type of uh, tidbit. The iun tfila. Think of it like the attention, the concentration that you have when you pray. Now the... I finished already. Oh, that's awesome. You know, the attention that you have when you, when you pray. What was that? Number three. Number four. The hashkamat betamidrash. Getting up early, going up to this is more for I guess for men for the synagogue, going up to for the for the for learning and for praying. And somebody who brings up their sons and the daughters going up to learning in the ways of the Torah. And the last one, and somebody that judge that gives the benefit of the doubt, that judges another person favorably. This is are the six things that if you do them in this world, you get the reward in this world and the reward in the next world as well. Now says Rav Chaim Belashen. Says Rav Chaim Belashen off a pasuk in Tehillim. A very famous pasuk in Tehillim because most people know this one by heart. Hashem shomrecha, Hashem tilcha al yad dimenecha. Kuf chafalev. Tehillim, Psalm number 125, verse 5. What does it mean over here? Hashem shomrecha, Hashem tilcha al yad dimenecha. God watches you. God is your shadow by your right hand. Now God watches you by your hand. Okay, we all get that. What does it mean God is your shadow? What does it mean a shadow? When you're looking at a shadow, there's no shadow over here, whatever. You're looking at a shadow, a shadow mimics everything that you do. Exactly that you do. If you don't, get off whatever drug you're doing. Because a shadow should be mimicking everything that you do, you're doing. Says Reb Chaim Velazhin. Says like this. Says, it says in Nefesh Chaim. It says, this is Mida Keneged Mida. The way that you go and you judge others, God judges you. You're judgmental to others, God's going to be judgmental to you. You give somebody the benefit of the doubt, God's going to give you the benefit of the doubt. This everything goes Mida Keneged Mida. Now there's a question. Giving benefit of the doubt... How do you give benefit of the doubt? Someone does something, and you're like, I don't know, did he do a sin, did he not do a sin? It could go two ways. What does it, it mean giving benefit of the doubt? You're not sure. Did he do a sin, did he not do a sin, did she do a sin, did she not know what she was doing? So you give them the benefit of the doubt. Could there be such a thing as a benefit of doubt by God? God's going to be like, well, I don't know. 
did, did, he, did he do the sin? Did she do the sin? Or did she not do it? Of course God knows. What does that mean, giving better, that God can give you the benefit of that? I heard a wonderful, amazing chidush from Rabbi Dubi Ben Shushan. Listen to this amazing chidush. He quotes a Gemara in Shabbat, page 32a. And he says like this. I'm sorry, just a little bit more Hebrew. These are the advocates of a man. Tshuva is repentance and good deeds. These are advocates. These are advocates that a man would do. And now, what does it mean that, what does it mean that you have, a man has advocates? Listen to this. He says, I really want to say it in Hebrew. Yeah, I'm going to have to. Okay, I'm sorry. I apologize. But I don't want to apologize. You're Jews. You should listen to Hebrew. <laughs> listen to this. Because, this, it, you know, it's more emphasized. You're saying Hebrew. Oh, you know, it's like, imagine I speak Arabic. And then I translate it. And then, you know, like, whatever. Okay. V'afilu tisha. Me'ot. V'tishim v'tisha. Melamdim alav chova. If you have 999 angels that are saying this guy is, is wicked. This guy deserves to be punished. This guy is bad. V'echad. And one angel. Melamed alav schut. He gets one angel. So he got 999. And he get one out of a thousand that says this guy, this guy's good. It's my brother. <laughs> right? This guy is good. If you say this guy is good, what says, says the Gemara? Niton. He gets saved. And not only that, it says, Rabbi Eleza, Rabbi Yossi Aglili. He goes on further and he says, Afilu, tisha me'ot v'tishim v'tisha ba'oto malach lechova. If you have one angel, 999 parts of that malach are saying this guy is, deserves to be punished. And the one saying, no, this guy is married. This guy deserves to go, go scot-free. This guy deserves to go free. Needs all, he gets saved. You know what that means? That means, you know what it means, giving him a benefit. That was a wonderful chidush I heard from Rabbi Duvah ben Shushan. He says that if you have 999 angels saying, this guy is wicked. And then you have some one angel that comes and be like, you know what? You know, no, maybe he's not in. You know, give, give him the benefit of the doubt. We're going to go. God's going to say, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. What does that mean? I'm going to listen to that one guy instead of all the 999 others. He says, why? Because when you went and you judged somebody else, you gave that person the benefit of the doubt. You didn't start judging and telling this person, oh yeah, well this person did this and this person did that. You know, it doesn't matter. He says, you gave that person the benefit of the doubt, you're going to get judged like that. Everything is midah, connected midah. By the way, this is a lot easier than it sounds. No, it's a it's lot not. easier. <laughs> that's it's really hard. I, so I'm sorry, that's what I meant. I don't know why I said easier. <laughs> You know, that means you're listening. Yeah, I meant that's that's exactly what I meant. I'm sorry. I don't why here. All right. No, it is not. It's very very difficult. Now it's easy when you're thinking about it. When it comes into there, you see a person that you're not that fond of, and they did something. And be like, yeah, this person deserves God. You know, you're already judging that person. You have the the robe on there. You got the gravel over there. No. I, I would say, if, in fact, if I would, to, I would say that other people do more. Why do I say that? Look at the industry. Look at the entertainment industry and what it, what it runs on. How many billions of dollars work on based off gossip and just all of all these things. But in any case, no. Then you go for the good if you give the benefit of the doubt. What if they didn't? But they just. Okay, I I work with a mix of people. I don't necessarily judge anyone, but let's say, like, I just don't care to just know that person, give, learn anything, therefore not have any reason to judge it, because I just don't care to know. Well, uh, so not caring is, is, I guess that's kind of not judging, I mean, in a Brooklyn way, It'd be like, whatever, you know, I don't care, die, live, whatever, you know? they tell me about a person, I'm like, I don't care for them, I don't know, I just... That's better than judging, 
Um, but that's not as good as like saying, right, right. So, so that that's something interesting. We're going to speak about that soon. What does it mean to judge someone favorably? It means that if, even if you don't know them, you give them the benefit of the doubt. Which means even in a case that you don't know them, be like, well, you never know. I, I, well, you know, I just don't care to at all. Like, in your own internal mind, you should never think of anybody else less than that person. Because I'll tell you like this: even if you don't care about that person, I'll give you an example like this. Imagine, you know, you have a coworker that comes in. There's a new. Let's say you live, you're working in a huge, you know, you know, place where there's I don't know hundreds of people, hundreds of workers over there, and there's like one person that's working over there that's in the far corner, like you'll never see that person. Be like, you know that person over there? She is so lazy. Like, like unbelievable. Be like, really? I mean, like, I, I've only seen her for a few times, but she seems very to work very hard. And ten years can go by, and she works like a horse, like, like you know, like nonstop. And then one time you see her by like, you know, the water cooler or whatever, just like, you know, relaxing and, you know, make it appear that she's a little bit lazy. You never judged her, like, officially, but all of a sudden it clicks back and be like, well, I knew it, yeah, lazy for good for nothing. You know, like, it, things, even though you don't judge that person, you'd be like, I'm officially stamping you as, uh, you know, disgusting, lazy, whatever it is. You don't officially judge that person, but it still has a factor that it, that it puts into your, into your mindset. What you should do if someone says that, you'd be like, how do you know? Like, why would you go and judge that? Wait, actually, I want to take back what I said. So, <laughs> actually, like, okay. I see someone, I'm like, I don't like, there's something I just don't like. There's something there that I just feel is like, mm-hmm. it's intuition. Like, something's wrong, I'm not going to like it, it's going to bother me. It's just, so I just like, avoid the person, I guess? Is that still judging if I'm just, yeah, like, you're you're judging, judging I just, like, I'm not, we can, we're going to open up a whole can of worms when we go into that. Do you have to go and be best friends with that person? No, you don't. Um, but but again, there's there's a whole there's a whole discussion just on this. Just on this. Let's see. If, let's finish the topic. If we if you want afterwards, we could go and in, you know into more details on this. But in essence, what we're saying over here is don't judge anybody. If you do judging somebody, give them the benefit of the doubt. Now, there is an idea. What about a wicked person? Do you have to go and give benefit of doubt for the wicked person? So I don't want to dwell. dwell Delve a lot on this, but I'll tell you the sources if you do want to go look inside. In Shalat Shuva, in Chalagima, the third gate, in uh, um, I guess Siman uh, two hundred Reishut Chas two hundred eighteen goes and says a wicked person you don't have to judge favorably. Now again, how do you decide who's a wicked person, who's that? We're not going to go. The Rambam also speaks about this in, in Pekei Avot as well that uh, that a wicked person should not be judged negatively. But again, how do you know who's wicked? We're not going to go into that. But there is an idea that I just want to share with you that a wicked person, somebody who is wicked. In whatever that sense that that means that we're not discussing right now, you don't have to judge. You don't have to judge, uh, you know, positively. But in general, anybody that you know, anybody that you don't know, you should give them the benefit of that. You should judge them. You should judge them uh, favorably. There was a story that was in Israel that there was a a, a person that uh, was you know had a simcha coming up. And oh, by the way, this is the time where I would say if anybody needs to leave, uh, please go and leave. We're going to be here a short while more. I'm sorry, we you know my my uh, deepest and sincerest apologies. Okay. Um, I said my, my spiel, now we can go on. The, <clears throat> this person was having a wedding, and his daughter was getting married, but unfortunately he didn't have any, any money to pay for the wedding. And he was very involved in the community, and the people felt it very bad, so they started also trying to raise money for the wedding. The, a wedding in, in Israel is not just a wedding, you know, they also pay, especially if they're learning, the boy's gonna learn in Kolel, you gotta pay, you know, help pay for the, you know, for the down payment for, for an apartment, you know, so on and so forth. The, the, the bills there are very, very uh, high. So, he, um, he goes and he travels to America, he goes and travels to England, goes and travels and makes, tries to raise some money. The people in the surrounding area are also, they really feel really bad, they're also trying to raise some money for him. He comes back, but he's able to make money, you know, enough money to pay for, for, put a down payment on the wedding hall. He goes to the wedding hall and he says, you know, I'd like to make a simchawi here and this and this date. And he gives it, he puts down a deposit, says, uh, the owner of the hall says, what's your name? He tells him his name. 
And the owner of the hall says, are you by any chance related to so-and-so, the same, uh, same last name with a different first name? He's like, yeah, that, that's my father. He says, that's your father? He says, you know your father. Did he live in, uh, in a certain place in Poland? He's like, yeah, yeah, that, that's my father from that town. He says, you know, your father saved my entire family from, from, from the Nazis, from the Holocaust. He says, I've been searching high and low to repay my benefactors. The reason why I'm still here is because of your father. He says, the wedding is on me. He says, you're paying nothing. This is my payment back to you on one condition you can't tell anybody. He says, this is my payment to you. He says, you know, this is amazing, unbelievable. He says, thank you very much. And, uh, you know, and he goes. And he goes home. A short while later, the wedding, the, the wedding is happening. And he goes into the wedding. And every, all the guests also come into the wedding. This guy owned the entire hotel over there. He gave them the biggest ballroom that he has. He didn't spare any expense. You're talking about like a 17 band, you know, piece band orchestra, flowers, the, you, know, you know, tens of thousands of dollars. The food there was a seven-course meal. It was unbelievable. All the guests from all Israel, they come in over here. What is the first thing that they're thinking? So look at this guy. He says, we raised money for this. Why do you need three trumpets for? What are, what are the two violinists? Why, why do we need all this stuff? This is what they want a chutzpah over here. They started judging him. So look at this person. Look at what this person did. Look at all these things. And uh, they went, and all of a sudden, you know, like they, they gave him a mazel tov, but it wasn't a mazel tov. You know, it was, like a, it was a different type of mazel tov. Huh? True story, yeah. And, uh, and, you know, a few days go by, and this... Um, you know, this, this person who made this simcha, who made the wedding, he goes to the rabbi and says, Rabbi, you know, you got to help me out over here. He says, I don't know what to do. He tells him the whole story. He says, I know why people, he says, people walk across the street, they don't even talk to me anymore. They think I took their money and I, you know, just splurged it on, you know, on the wedding that they went, worked so hard and collected. He says, and he told him, this is the, the true story. This is what really happened. The rabbi says, don't worry, I'll take care of it. The rabbi calls the people, goes into, you know, to the synagogue and he announces the whole, the whole story. He says, and he announces the entire story. Imagine what those people are thinking about. The people that went and gave him, you know, the stinky eye. They gave him the, you know, the look about like, oh, what, how, you, you know, he didn't do anything. He's, when he goes out there, he says, listen, I was just as surprised as you were when I walked to the wedding hall. I wasn't expecting this. He says, look how quick we are to judge when we didn't even know what the other person is going through. We didn't know all these things. If the people would even stop for a second and think what the other person is going through, you don't know anything. You don't know anything about yourself. Forget about other people that you don't know anything about. There's a command in, uh, there's a pasuk in Vayikah. Chapter 19, verse 15. It says, With righteousness you should judge your fellow. How do you judge someone righteously? What does it mean that you judge someone righteously? The Gemara Shavuot goes and explains. It says, if someone's doing an action that it can be interpreted either positively or negatively, judge him righteously, give him the benefit of the doubt. This is the idea of that, uh, you know, always give somebody the benefit of the doubt. You don't know how far that's going to actually go, uh, go for you. The, 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 the Mishnah Pilkei Avot goes on, a uh, different Mishnah, it says like this, it says, tadin et You're not allowed to judge your friend until you reach his place. There's a saying in English that you can't, don't judge somebody else until you walk a mile in his shoes. There's a comedian that said, he says, uh, <clears throat> he says, you can't judge somebody else unless you walk a mile in his shoes. He said, if you walked a mile in his shoes, then why are you judging him anymore? You have his shoes and he's a mile away, so there's nothing <laughs> to judge about anymore. So when you're going and we're, when we're thinking, you can never actually, and all, honestly, you can never judge a person because you don't know what the person is going through. You're not in his shoes. You're not, you don't know what's going on over there. You know the situation. There, you know, there, was a, there was a teacher that was trying to teach a boy. Um, one of his students, you know, I don't know, four, four five, six years old, um, simple mathematics. And he said, he says, you know, hey, Johnny, he says, if I give you two apples and then I give you another two apples, how many apples do you have? So Johnny's looking and he says, five. <clears throat> and the teacher says, okay, Johnny, Johnny, 
I'm going to give you two apples, and he points out two fingers, and I'm going to give you another two apples, pointing out another two fingers, and puts the fingers together. How many, how many apples are you going to have? Johnny looks at the fingers, and he says, five. So the teacher says, okay, listen, I'm going to give you two candies, and then I'm going to give you another two candies. How many candies are you going to have? Johnny looks at the fingers, and he says, four. And he's like, yeah, yeah, okay, okay, good, good, good. I'm going to give you two strawberries and another two strawberries. How many do you have? Johnny looks at the fingers. He says four. He says, okay, we're on a cycle here. Johnny, I'm going to give you two apples, and then I'm going to give you another two apples. How many apples do you have? Johnny says five. The teacher says, where's your parents? What's going on over here? How could you be if I give you two candies, and I give you another two candies, and you tell me you have four? I give you two strawberries and another two strawberries, and you have four. How could it be I give you the same amount of apples, same amount of apples, two and two? How could you have five? Johnny says, very simply, he opens up his backpack, he takes out an apple, he says, I already have an apple, I don't have candies or strawberries, you're going to give me four candies or four strawberries, that's all I have, I'm not going to have anything else. This, you know how many times this teacher is going and saying, this kid is wrong, and that's, no, this kid is right, you just didn't explain yourself carefully, you didn't explain yourself, you, we're so quick to judge, we don't even realize what the other person is dealing with, what the other person has. Simple mathematics, when you think could be only one possible answer, is not always that. There's a story known with the Rashash. The Rashash was a great Torah scholar. And uh, he also had a lot of money. And he went and he, um, he had a, uh, a gemach, a, you know, where he gave uh, free loans to, you know, to the people of the community that would need him. One time a poor tailor by the name of Rab Zalman came over to him and needed to borrow 300 ruble. And the Rashash says, no, absolutely not a problem. He took out the money, wrote out a contract, signed over here. It's due one year to date. And the tailor said, you know, not a problem. You know, I'll see you then. He gives him the money, he goes on his way, a year goes by. A year goes by, and the tailor, you know, the, the, day, the date when the, the loan was paid, the tailor knocks on the, on the rabbi's door. The rabbi, you know, singles in. The rabbi was in the middle of learning, you know, busy, you know, like a very, very complex, you know, idea in the, in, you know, the Gemara. And he had like a few books open, and the tailor comes in. And, you know, the tailor says, listen, you know, dear rabbi, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I just want to pay. And the rabbi just singled him to come in, to come in. The tailor, you know, didn't know what to do. He, you know, gave him the money and says, you know, paying for my loan. And the rabbi, like, singled him, okay, and, and the tailor left. The rabbi was so involved in this thing, he took the money, put it in the back of the book that he was reading, and he continued learning. A few hours later, he finished, you know, learning what he was learning, closed the book, put it out on the shelf. Completely, you know, you know, forgot that, you know, that he put money over there. A short while later, he's going and he's reviewing his books of all the people that he lent money to, and he sees he lent money, 300 rubles to this tailor. He says, it doesn't have your marked off that he paid him back. So he calls over the tailor, and he says, you know, I see that, you know, I, you know it's past due, your, your loan. Is there something going on over here? So the tailor says, you know, my dear rabbi, I, you know, I came. I came to you on the day of the, you know, on the day my loan was due, and I gave you the money. And the rabbi says, but I don't have anything written down over here. And he says, it must have, you must not have given it to me. He says, no, for sure I gave it to you. I, I brought it into you. So they're going back and forth. You didn't, you did, you didn't, did. So the rabbi says, listen, we have nothing else that we could do, but let's go in front of a dintalah. Let's go in front of a you know, court. And let's see what, you know, what the, the court decides. So they went in front of the court. He says yes, he said no. The court said there's only one other option we could do. Let's make him swear. Let's make the tailor swear that he didn't pay, the, that he paid the money. So the tailor was willing to swear. And the rabbi said, the rabbi was a holy rabbi, he says, no, I don't want another Jew to swear because of this. He says, don't worry about it, you know, let's, let's, let's call it and, and let's move it out. So the tailor didn't swear, the, the loan, you know, it, it was closed and there was nothing to talk about. But what happened, the word, word came out on the street, people started talking. He says, the biggest rabbi in the town, he brought the tailor and the tailor, the rabbi said yes and the tailor said no, or, you know, vice versa. Who do you think the people are going to listen to? 
People are going to start judging and say, listen, the rabbi is obviously right. The tailor, you know, some, did some sort of scheme, tried to get out of the money. So people stopped bringing in business. And people didn't want to associate with him anymore. Look, if he wants to cheat out of the rabbi, the money that he's giving him to loan him, this whole thing is going to root it for everybody. You know, they gave out all these excuses in their mind. And slowly, slowly, nobody wanted to do business with the tailor. No one wanted to, do, to have any, any, anything to do with the tailor. To the point was that the tailor had to get up and leave town. He had to pack up his stuff, sell his house, and move to a different town. He moved to a different town, and he started trying to build his life anew. A short while later, the rabbi was going through a, si- a similar complex sugya that he was dealing with in a previous, uh, you know, you know, you know, previous while back, and he had to open up the same book that he opened up when the time when the tailor paid him back the loan. And he opens up the book and he sees the money fall out, and he starts thinking, "This three hundred rubles, where does this come from?" And he starts putting everything together, started looking, where did, you know, and he starts realizing he remembers all of a sudden the tailor actually did go and actually did give him the money. He's like, he couldn't. He closed the book right away and he started running through town. He's like, "Where's this tailor? Where's this tailor? I need to speak to him. I need to ask him for forgiveness." And he's running from place to place. The guy said, he said, listen, the tailor, he, he already booked. He's not in this town anymore. He says, which town is he in? He's, he's, he ran to the other town. He finally found the tailor. And he, and he begs him. He says, please, you have to forgive me. He says, you are right. I was wrong. The tailor says, you know, I forgive you. I got kicked out. I don't have business anymore. I got kicked out of my own town. He says, you know, I forgive you, but it doesn't change anything. The rabbi says, don't worry about it. He says, I'm going to go to every single synagogue in the town. And I'm going to go and announce and say, it was my fault, this whole thing. And it's not your fault. And you should be allowed to town and people, you'll get right back into it. The tailor goes, tailor's a smart man, he says, Rabbi, he says, you're going to go there, you're going to announce, what are people going to think? They realize that, you know, I got kicked out, you felt bad for me because you're a righteous man, you're going to go and you're going to make believe like it was all your fault, you're going to take the hit for it just to make it my life a little simpler. They're not going to actually believe that I was the one that was right, they're not going to actually be that. The rabbi thought for a moment and he says, you know what, you're right. He says, I have another idea. He says, you have a son? And he says, yeah. He says, you know, I have a daughter. Let's make a shidduch. He says, if our children get married, no one's ever going to doubt you. No one's ever going to doubt that you were right and I was wrong. And by the way, making a shidduch with a big rabbi back then meant a lot more than making a shidduch right now, you know, in our days. Back then, if you are the wealthiest man, you know, in the world, and you are, you know, Jewish and religious, what type of boy did you want for your daughter? You wanted the biggest, you go to the yeshiva, and you say, give me the best boy that you have over here. I'm taking care of everything. He's going to be learning for the rest of his life. He doesn't have to worry about working. He's going to be the best, biggest Tamit Chacham. This is what it was. This is the, the, the rabbi, the chief rabbi of that, of, that, of that area. He's going and he's going to go and marry off to a simple, a simple, tailor's, a simple tailor's child. Because that's what it meant to, not, to, get, to get him to forgive him for all the judgment that other people did. That all the people that people judge. Now when people going that, people don't realize. People went and they judge his tailor. Of course he's wrong. How do you know? How do you know this person's wrong? Who are you to judge? How can we be anybody of anything that we could say, yeah, you're wrong and you're right? How, you don't know what goes on through that person's, per, person's life. There was once a guy who went on a date. The Shatran was going in, you know, this guy was getting a lot of dates. And somebody needs to wake up. Okay, so, so there's a guy, the guy was going, you know, and the Shatran woke up and says, listen, this girl is unbelievable. She has got good midot, she's beautiful. Everything that you want, good family, good years, you know, everything that you want, it's all on this girl. He says, you gotta go out. The guy's like so excited. I was like, awesome, let's do it. You know, like set it up. They go and they set it up and he goes to pick up the girl, you know, and he goes into the house, you know, and they go, he meets the parents and then he comes out back into the car. She comes into the car, he comes into the car. The second that he sits down in the car, he realizes, uh, a little bit of a scent. That's not the new car smell that he's used to. Um, smells not that good. And he's like, all right, you know, maybe, you know, something. I don't, I don't know, whatever it is. Making excuses. He gets to the restaurant, wherever he's going, and the smell is still there. And he's like, this, you know, it's like, this unbelievable. He says, who's going on a date and doesn't take care of the smell? You know, it's, it smelled really bad. And it, to the extent that he, he was so embarrassed being in public with this person, and he says, you know what? 
uh, he's cutting the date off early. So I can't believe. Shoot, she was pretty. She was very nice, but he couldn't concentrate. The smell was so overwhelming. He brought her back into the car. The smell came with it. He's like, this is unbelievable. He walked her back to the house. He's like, I can't believe. He is thinking, he's like, I'm going to get on this shatchan and this matchmaker. You know, you're telling me this. This girl, I don't know what happened. You know, you know, who knows what she ate before. What's going on over here with all the, you know, the sense that's going on over here? How could you even, what, 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 what am I so bad that you have to set me up with this? He goes, he says, it was so bad that even when I got back into the car, the smell still lingered on. He figures he's going to give it, he's going to give a piece of his mind to this matchmaker. He gets home, parks his car, walks into the house. He's making a beeline straight to the phone. And this is obviously an older story. Uh, no problem. He walks right to the phone. Meanwhile, his sister starts screaming at him. He says, you know, hi, what do you got on your shoes? Why are you trekking all over the floor? And he looks on the floor. He stepped on some sort of feces before, you know, this. And he's like, I said, uh, huh. You know, what happened? While he was walking to the girl's house, he stepped in a neighbor's, you know, dog's excrement. Brought it into her house, brought it into the car, brought it into the restaurant, brought it back to his car, into his house. Meanwhile, who is he blaming? Never once did he think, maybe it's me. He thinks, no, it's the other person. He's thinking about already all of us on the other person. If we stop for a minute, you know sometimes we judge other people based on our own perception, on what the way that we feel. Sometimes you're the problem, not the other person. There's, I want to finish off with one last idea, and then we'll do a recap. The Baal Shem Tov, I'll say a story about the Baal Shem Tov. The Baal Shem Tov Al-Atoa speaks about in Vayikra, chapter 19, verse 15. It says that no verdict is ever passed on a person until he himself issues that same verdict. Which means that if you did something wrong and God needs to judge you on that, God will put you in a situation that you have to judge somebody else on the same sin that you just did. And the way that you judge that other person, you are going to get judged. Now listen to the story of how the Baal Shem Tov came into this world. The Baal Shem Tov, his parents, Rabbi Eliezer and Hanam, <coughs> last name was not Baal Shem Tov, um, the, they, were, they were very, very big in Hachnasat Ochim. Very big and welcoming guests. So much so that they would send their servant out and they would go, <coughs> excuse me, they would go and if anybody Jewish, anybody remotely looking Jewish, bring him to the house. We're going to go. They did, they did, you know, they received guests like no one's business. If a poor person came into their house, when the poor, poor person came, first thing they did is like, here's some money so you can be a relax. Now you're going to come in, you need a shower, you need to eat, you need to sleep. Whatever it is you need to do, you could be right over here, full service. Five-star hotel. And this is what they did non-stop. And they would have very, very righteous people come to their house. They were very, very big in Achnasat Ochim. Now, in heaven they saw this. They said, listen, look at this level of Achnasat Ochim. Look at this unbelievable mitzvah that they're doing and welcoming guests. We got to pay them. The, the Baal Shem Tov's parents did not have children until a very, very old age. And they said, we got to pay them. We got to pay them. So they said, okay, listen, we'll pay them. But we have to test them first. As we know, many times or, or often in life, before we get a promotion in life, we get tested. So Rabbi Tzadik Akon, if I'm not mistaken, says this as well. Before you get a big promotion in life, you get tested. And the Baal Shem Tov's parents were about to get tested. So, it was one Shabbat, and they're sitting over there. They had a whole big table full of guests. Big, big, holy people sitting on their table. Meanwhile, a beggar walks in. Now, this beggar was very, very obviously violated the, you know, the Shabbat. He traveled on Shabbat. Very obviously doesn't keep Shabbat. He came over there. The Baal Shem Tov's father saw him. He stood up. He says, oh, I have a guest. He comes over to him. He says, Shalom Aleichem. He gives him a warm welcome. He says, please come sit down. He puts up a chair right in the front. He says, you're going to sit right next to me. My honored guest, please. He says, stay until after Shabbat. I'll give you money afterwards. Don't worry about it. Everything's going to be okay. You know, sit over here. And they brought him food. And he gave him an unbelievable amount of honor. Now, the people around the table, they were looking at him. And they were saying, you know, look at this guy. I mean, like, this guy is not a Mechalel Shabbat. You know, somebody who desecrates Shabbat is considered like a non-Jew. You know, it's, you're going and giving him so much honor. And the Bashanto's father saw that, you know, what was going on over there. He said, listen. My house, my rules. May say it a little bit differently, but uh, the gist of the story. And after every meal, 
He gave him the highest honor, sat him right in the front, anything that you want, anything that this, and he says, please wait until after Shabbat, and he says, after Shabbat, maybe maybe stay until the next night, did everything that he possibly can to keep him and give him the best possible services he can. When he was about to leave, he says, the Bashan's father says, listen, I promise you some money, here's some money, and I want to walk you out. I've got to go and, and uh, you know, part of, part of welcoming guests is also walking them out. And he walked him out a little bit, and the, this poor person, as he's, uh, as he's walking out, he, you know, he's far away from his house, he turns over to the Baal to his father, and he says, listen, he says that, um, <coughs> you should know <coughs> that I am not, you know, from this world. He says, I am actually Eliyahu and Avi, and I was sent to test you from the next world. And he says, <coughs> you pass the test, and he says, you know, you're going to have nine months, a year from today, you're going to have a baby boy. And this boy is going to be a light up to the world. And you'll name him Yisrael. And nine months later, he had you know, Yisrael, which later learned to become the Baal Shem Tov. The Baal Shem Tov came into this world from the idea, and this is what the Baal Shem Tov teaches so strongly, never judge. You don't know what that person is. You see so many things. You don't know anything. When you realize that, there's no reason to judge. There's always going to give the benefit of the doubt. You know the power that you have over here? Everything that happens is measure for measure. You're coming on Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is judgment day. This is a day that you're going to get judged of what's going to happen your entire year coming from day to date. You're going to come there and God's going to be like, listen, you don't, you give everybody the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to have to give you the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to have to give you the best judgment possible. You give everybody the best judgment possible. Can you imagine the power that you have in your hands from now until then? Just start going through your phone contact list. I judge you good. I judge you good. Or I don't judge you at all. Whatever it is that falls your boat. But whatever it is, when you give somebody the benefit of the doubt, first of all, you feel different towards these people all of a sudden. You don't have this anger, that animosity toward these people anymore. This is the power of judging others favorably. So let's now go and do a recap and we're finishing off with this. We spoke about quite a few different ideas. Number one, we spoke about getting in line first. How do you get in line first? Get ready for Rosh Hashanah first. Start working on yourself, getting the ready, the tshuva, now. Don't wait, God, getting ready, get stand in line first. First come, first serve. You get judged better. Number two, we said don't judge others. And number three, we said that if you, with the way that you judge yourself, be true to yourself. Give excuse for other people. When you're working on yourself, don't, obviously don't put your self-esteem down, don't bring yourself down to a depression, but be honest to yourself and realize what you have to work on. Now, <clears throat> I want to share with you a personal chidush and how I understand this Gemara. Remember the Gemara that we started off with? And I like to plug in everything that we just said in that particular Gemara. We said in Rosh Hashanah, page 18. The, Rosh Hanah, the, the Gemara says like this. It says, it says everybody passes in front of God, Kivne Maron. What does it mean, Kivne Maron? We said number one, like strong sheep. What do we mean by strong sheep? The people we said that are strong spiritually, they get to go in front of the line. What's another little interpretation that we can maybe give a little chidush for? The people, when you're looking at other people, always judge them as if they're the strong sheep. Always judge them as, this, as if they are righteous. You're going to judge them if, they, if they're righteous, you're going to have a good judgment. That's number one. Number two, regarding a soldier. What is a soldier? We said the soldier is the King David. The king, you know, the king sends, you're going to go here, you're going to go here. What is it based off? Every soldier has a different purpose. Stop judging yourself compared to other people. Well, he also did that wrong. Well, she also did that wrong. That's irrelevant. You have one job. You're the sniper. You're the communications. You're the tele- Whatever it is that you are, that is who you are. What is the idea that we can learn from the soldier? The reason is, is that realize who you are. Be true to yourself. Stop comparing yourself to other people. For good, yeah. But for bad, just because he did something wrong or she did something wrong, don't, don't pull yourself short and saying, okay, we're on the same boat. Or we'll both go, you know, we'll both be in hell together. That's the worst thing that you could possibly say. Everybody is your own. You have your own mission in life. Judge yourself appropriately. You're the communications person. Be the communications person. Whatever it is that you are, you need to be. That was number two. Number three, we spoke about that it's a narrow path. It's a narrow path. What does it mean a narrow path? First come, first serve. 
You want to get to Rosh Hashanah, you want to get a good judgment, get there in line early. So everything that we've spoken about over here, we can see is all hinted in the Gemara. The Gemara says three things. We asked, why don't we just say single file? Okay, you're telling me Sheep, you're telling me King David, King Nehavet, just tell me single file. Why do we need all these things? But we know if the Torah tells us something, there's a much deeper meaning to that. There's a much deeper meaning to what it means how to get judged. And this is the secret that I personally feel is so powerful. You have no idea. These three things, if you take it tonight, you are... Awesome, amazing, lucky, whatever it is. Um, and again, the final recap. Number one, get in line first. Be that person. Be the front of the narrow path. In the Gemara Rosh Hashanah. Be in the front, first of the line. You get there first, you're going to get a better judgment than if you get there and back in the line. Number two, also, when you judge yourself, judge yourself appropriately. Don't give yourself so much excuse and saying it's not really that bad, it's not really that bad. If you have deficiencies, work on it. Everybody knows their deficiencies. And if you're not going to think about it, you'll just push it behind your mind and you won't know what you need to work on. Spend, God forbid, two minutes without any headphones in yourself, without looking at a video for a second and think about, on your way home tonight, what is it that I should work on? Jot it down and something small. Take something tiny. Take something. And that's it. And then you're taking your step. Even if it is just having a closer connection to God. Speaking to God in a personal manner. And finally, don't judge others. Because the way that you judge others is the way that you're going to get judged. You take these three things your judgment is going to be all that, all that more awesome. And Bizlat Hashem will have an unbelievable judgment this year. And <clears throat> everybody here and everybody in line, the entire Klali saw, everybody, should, whoever needs a Shidduch, should Bizlat Hashem get a Shidduch. There we go. We're going to get the whole Sfadim out here. <laughs> whoever needs a Panasah, Bizlat Hashem should have an unbelievable amount of Panasah. Whoever needs children, should Bizlat Hashem have children. And whenever needs Shalom Bayit, whoever needs anything in their life, unfortunately, the Jewish nation, we, have, we need so much. And when you remember, don't, don't forget, when you're praying on Rosh Hashanah, when you're praying on the Hashanah, don't only pray for yourself. Add a sentence or two for somebody else. Add something for somebody else. When we're doing this, Bizlat Hashem will have an unbelievable, amazing, successful, the best year that we ever had to date. Amen. Any questions? Yes. So that's the idea of a wicked person. How much do you judge a wicked person? Let me ask you like this. Let me ask you this because we're going to stay on this same criteria. Do you do a sin? Well, not you. Somebody do a sin and then they say they're not going to do the sin anymore and then they keep on doing it and keep on doing it. How do you want God to judge you on that? Be like, well, come on. You already told me like 10,000 times you're not going to do it anymore and you're still doing it. If you think about it like that, the way that you want to get judged to God, you'd also want God to judge you that way also. So all these things, you'll be like, okay, listen, they do the same way. Think about the power that you have. This person constantly messes you over, messes you over, messes you over, but you don't have, I'm not saying you have to be best buddies with that person, but you say, listen, all right, whatever that reason is, that person's going through some things, maybe I can't be trusted, whatever it is, but whatever, they're going through the whole thing, I'm not going to judge them, I'm not going to think anything less of them, and then maybe I won't stop lending them money, whatever it is, obviously if they're not paying you back, don't continue lending them money, but... I'm not going to give them any, any, you know, the, the you know, a, a bad judgment, if I could call it that. Imagine the power that you have when you come on Rosh Hashanah, when someone did so many bad things to you, and you just said, like, you know what? It's cool. Don't worry about it. You do, I don't know if you have to do that. Okay. Yeah. So, um, my brother was complaining to me. He was telling me how he was talking to this person, and he was telling him his feelings, and the whole other time, he's like, oh, it's not true. That didn't happen. Like, he was trying to judge him favorably, but it was... It was to the other person's expense, really. That's not judging favorably. That's that yeah. you can never judge a person from that person because if let's say you and God forbid insulted somebody, that might not have been an insult to you, but that could be an insult to that person, and you still have to ask forgiveness for that person because you insulted that person. Right. So he was judging him, judging that person when he didn't know the um, the 
situation? These situations, by the way, are very difficult. It's very easy, easier said than done. Easier said than done. Yeah, but but I'm saying the more that you can work on yourself, yeah, obviously you have to. So the question is, you mean, did they, you're saying that, did, let's say you spoke somebody behind someone's back, and they don't know that you spoke behind their back. Uh, right, so that depends on the type of the whole scenario. Let's ask it off camera, because there's a lot of that, that goes into play for that. Are they going to get hurt by that? There's a lot of different factors that have to be dealt in that, in that particular situation. Do they know? There's a lot of different things that need to be, is it better not to say, is it better to say? For all those questions, ask a personal, orthodox, you know, rabbi in a particular situation. It's not so clear-cut always. Yeah. So that's a very broad question, and it needs to be more specified on particular scenarios. So it's a very hard question to answer just off that. But if you have, let's say, a certain particular situation where one thing that you're doing right is conflicting with another thing, it depends on the situation. But let's say your example that you gave. So you lend somebody money, they're not paying you back, and you really wanted to give that money to a certain charity. Now, you did something good at that point in time. Lending somebody money is a mitzvah. It's a, it's, it, you know, it's a good thing to do. It's out of your control that they didn't pay it back. Now, would I say lend the person other money again? Uh, you know, afterwards, if they're not paying back, that's obviously not the smartest thing to do, unless they have a good reason or whatever it is. But it doesn't take away from the fact you wanted to do a mitzvah with that money. Now you can't do it because you don't have the money. We know that if you want to do something good and you don't have, you're an honest, it's not your fault that you weren't able to do something good, you still get rewarded for doing that, for wanting to do that good. So in essence, that is actually working for your benefit. Then eventually when you get that money and then you can actually give it to Tzakah, you got like three mitzvot over there. You got the thing that you gave for the lending, the thing that you wanted to give, and then the thing that you finally actually gave. So when we're looking at it, we should look at things in the, in the situation that is right now. The scenario right now, it's not going to make any difference to judge a person and be like, I wanted to do it and now I can't do it, it's all your fault. Deal with the scenario at hand. A scenario at hand is I can't do it for things that are out of my control. Like what I pressure the person to give the money. It depends on the reason of the person. So it's very hard to say. It's a very broad. Yeah. Um, And you didn't daven yet? You have to daven. Yeah, well, you, so there's a, there's a thing there. Okay, so there's an idea to... Right, right. If you're middle of doing a mitzvah, then you're, you're, you're not obligated to like do all the other mitzvah. If, let's say you're going to miss tefillah. You're not going to be able to daven. And you want to go visit somebody, then the, the precedence comes over to, you know, that you need to pray. You didn't pray yet. You have an obligation to pray. So you have to pray, so you have to obviously do that first. You, you know, granted, you're not going to be able to do that. There's different criteria. So every scenario has many different, many different situations that come into play. Because it depends on what the scenario is. What's the obligation? What's the mitzvah? Which one's greater? So in, in all scenarios, it's very hard to say unless you have spe- you know, specific ideas of what's actually you know, referring to. But it's, it's a good question. It's, it's, not, it's not an easy answer. Uh, yeah. Um, well, this is someone 
how could someone say that they're never going to do it again? It's possible they may. Excellent question. The question is like this. Let, let's say you're going to go and you're, you're having a very hard time with a certain sin and you want to do tshuva. But you know, pretty, you know, like, it might happen again. Should you do tshuva or are you going to be a hypocrite? You should still do tshuva. So I should still say, oh, I'm never going to do it again, even if, like, I don't know. Part of the tshuva, there's three steps, three very, very simple steps for tshuva. Number one is stop doing the sin. Number two is confessing it to God. And number three is obviously not doing it anymore. Now, you're, when, you're, when you're doing tshuva, <coughs> excuse me, you should actually think that I am not planning on ever doing it again. God forbid, God forbid it does happen again. Now you have to work on that tshuva. Which means that you don't have the thousand sins before, and now you have one, and then you have to mess it, you know, fix it again. There's an idea of the partial acceptance of tshuva. You should never, and this is a very, very big problem where people go, and people say, what's the point? I'm not going to do tshuva because I know I'm going to mess it up again. Chuva, you have an answer? Okay. Sometimes when you're doing tshuva and you want to know, oh, I'm, not doing it. I'm never going to do it again, but you're most likely going to do it again, it's probably because you don't understand the full extent. I'm saying, it's just an idea. You probably don't understand the full extent of why you don't finish anything to that. Then you should like listen to the sir. More. Yeah, but let's say with Lush and Hara, people know how damaging it could be, yet people still do it. Yeah, but if you even just that slightly more careful moving forward for Lush and Hara, that's already something towards your chuva. Any, you don't realize anything little helps. Just, just one iota of something just, just helps. That makes a difference. Oh. That's a start. Thank you. The bris itself is a bris. It's a bris. It's a covenant. Shouldn't there be a Sefer Torah by him also? I mean, he's gonna, if anything, he's learning from the Sefer Torah. He's actually learning, like, the girl doesn't have the obligation, so. No, the, because a bris, the, the idea is that you have to make a bris on something. So the bris itself is called a bris. The Sefer Torah is called Sefer Habris. So you having a bris and either, you having this treaty, this covenant. The idea is that, that you make a treaty with someone personally. Okay. It's like, well, who's on this contract? You know, this and this. So this is where you get both of them. Any other questions? Yeah. Yeah, I have one. Um, point of your sharing, so... But please. Uh, um, you said that in order to get ahead of the line, you have to take... You have to, you have to grow. That was basically what, how I understood it. Like, you just have to take something on. Oh, so excellent, excellent question. So, um, how do you get in front of the line? Is getting ready for Rosh Hashanah is getting, getting, which means that you don't have to go and wait in the synagogue in front of the line. It means that you're getting ready for the front of the line. So it could be taking something on, take, you know, doing chuba for something. People wait till the last minute to do it, so they're, they're getting ready for Rosh Hashanah, they're getting ready for it. Basically just thinking about... Getting ready for it. Whatever in your mind means to getting ready for it, two very obvious things is chuba. Doing some mitzvah. That's why people give charity now. People do, you know, be, go visit sick people. Anything that you do, go to more Torah classes. Anything. Share Torah classes. Give other people. You know, you don't, you don't realize. Imagine what it is if, like, you invite somebody to a Torah class and that person becomes so interested in it, become more religious. All that's on you all of a sudden. So that's also preparing for it. That you're getting more merit coming to, you know, to Judgment Day. So anything that you do to bring yourself merit, Chuva, taking things on, fixing yourself, whatever it is that you think that would be greatest for you, that's what you should, uh, you know, focus on. We're referring to specifically judging people in your head. Yeah, so how do I do to show on that? Like, do I... Work on not judging the person. But let's say I, like, thought in my head, okay, I do not like that person's talk, it's horrible. And I'm thinking negative thoughts. So how do I, like, do to show on thinking on those negative 
you, you have to, you have to, it's changing the way that you think. Mm-hmm. So let's say someone, let's use a different example. Let's say somebody's driving a car and you think that car is so ugly. In general, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. So just because what's ugly for one person is beautiful for another person. And just because what's beautiful for one person is ugly for another person. They say, you know, like, I probably wouldn't wear that or I probably wouldn't drive in that. But this person has a very interesting taste. You know, you can always like switch things. Imagine if that's your child. You know, like, think of it this way. There is a child that's a murderer. Like, like, well, it's not a child anymore. I would say he's an adult, but his parents, right? His child's a murderer and like a, like a psycho, psychopathic murderer. You know, like really crazy stuff. And the parents would be like, but look how clean he cuts. You know, like, you know, you could always see, like, yeah, but he has mercy because he first cuts the jugular. You know, like, you, you always, there's different things that you could go and you could always see something in the, in the benefit. If you love that person, that's what that idea is. If you love that person, you'll be able to judge that person favorably. So if it's your sister or your future husband and they're, well, not your future husband because then, you know, you're probably thinking I'll, I'll change him. But if it's, let's say, you know, somebody that you really, really care, really look up to, really appreciate and they're doing something that maybe you wouldn't do, you would give them excuses. Be like, well, all right, you know, like, you know, she had a really bad day. Whatever it is that, you know, she, you know, obviously didn't realize she bought that and it's very ugly. Whatever, whatever excuses that you give, you could give that person. The secret behind that is to loving other people. When you love other person, all of a sudden you'll give them the benefit of the doubt. You want to have, give them a good reason or whatever it is that, you know, to get it out of your, out of your system. It's a completely different outlook. There's sometimes that somebody walks into the room and be like, I don't like that person. I don't know what it is, but I just like, don't yeah, like that person. So, right, so. You don't have to go and be friends with that person. You don't have an obligation to be friends with everybody in the world. Uh, you could do whatever you want to do at your own personal thing. But. It depends. It depends on how it actionalizes. So, so if let's say you start snobbing them out and they come and they ask you for something and you completely ignore them, then it actually factualizes into judgment. If you just have nothing to do with that other person, all right, so you have nothing to do with that other person. It's always better to be like, you know, I don't like that person, but, you know, I'm sure his parents like, whatever. Like, you could always think of a little bit of a positive twist on that person. You don't have to do anything with them. Yeah, well, and to each his own, and that's the thing. But I'm saying, but to, to go and internalize these things, it changes the way that you actually act on that person. So let's say the person's going to ask you for a ride or something. So would that change the way that you feel about that person? Because and it shouldn't. And if it does, then you should change that idea. Like the same way that you would. The, the idea is we have to is you know you have to love your friends like yourself. Meaning that if you had a friend that would ask you and they would ask you the same thing. Obviously, it's not going to be on the same level because you have a different relationship with the person. But to, to put someone down because of something that you don't even know anything about it, that obviously is a problem. That obviously is going to go and put it down to it. You don't have to be best friends with that person. You don't have to be friends even with that person. But definitely be friendly with the person. Be a normal well, human like being. Professional, yeah, you don't have an obligation to... You don't have to... Yeah. That's fine. Yeah, that's not. Yeah, just because you don't want to hang out with them, that doesn't mean that. I don't see any. Pro- I don't see anything wrong with not needing, you know, to be, you know, involved with everybody at all times. It's fine. You want to do your own thing. Okay. Now, when it comes to
we feel like we're on the receiving end of a lot of their judgments and their remarks, and it's like it's upsetting. And you know, we want to be like, oh, they're so they're just mean, they're bitter, you know. So Let me tell you a secret like, about old people. Like, this At- is also my aunt. Like, this is her daughter. She's like just you know, like, after a certain like, age. A people, but it's like it's very like upsetting. Like this is like the most judgmental Jewish grandmother I've ever come across in my life. <laughs> it's every Jewish grandmother. Um, <laughs> After a certain, you know, judgmental, actually, it's more difficult as you get older. Um, and, you know, every, after a certain age, it's just like anybody that walks past by, it's like the evil eyes, like, like, you know, like, you know, like staring you down as you're walking over there. Who does she think she is walking on my block? You know, thinks that she could do whatever she wants. And there's like things going on there. The next day, you know, she's going to tell, you know, like her granddaughter says, you know who I saw? And there's going to be like a slew of other stories that are going to fly about them. Yes, people are judgmental. Yes, it's a problem. And yes, they're going to share it with you. Do you, is your question, do you have to change their mentality? Sharing like their judgments on other person, like their judgments on us. Like, our children, oh. share, she's going to make a remark like, oh, you're becoming religious. Or if I say I'm doing this, it's like, she's projecting a lot of her personal and just past. That changes everything a lot. So that, if she's pushing you, so that's a little bit of information. Right. So that's a little bit of information that I didn't get it beforehand. So yeah, if so she's like pushing you, that makes a big difference. It depends on the ju- how can you relate to that? How do you deal with that? They are, by the way. You realize the first of all, after they get a certain age, there's no filter. Um, it's just like, you know, you come in, you want to know if you look skinny in a certain outfit, you go to an older person. And be like, do I look fat in this? And be like, no, your fat makes you look fat in this. You know, like, they're not going to go and be like, no, you look great. You know, they're going to tell you the way that it is. The older that you are, the older that the person is, the more honest the opinion is going to be. Now, when you're dealing with, with something, let's say, in, in spirituality. So let's say you want to go and you want to become more religious. And unfortunately, parents, grandparents will be like, oh, you think you're better? You think you can become more religious on us? You're going to become all this and that? And unfortunately, very much, very, you know, it does happen. Now, why do they do that? Now, there's many reasons they could, they, they could be doing that. But one of the reasons is that they feel threatened. They feel threatened. They're like, the daughter's going to be changing now. She's joining an ISIS cult, whatever that is that they're thinking. They're doing you know, something like crazy. They're doing something radical. They don't understand it. But I'll tell you an amazing secret when you're dealing with, with uh, when, when someone wants to become more religious, the best thing that you could do, when you become more religious, if you're really becoming more religious, you become a better person. Because that's it just comes together. And if not, then you're not doing it right. You become a better person. You're nicer. You're kinder. You're all of a sudden, you're, you know, you're doing better stuff. There are many people, many stories that I know Couples even that one couple became more religious. The other couple hated it in the beginning, but ended up later becoming religious. And I asked them personally, like, why? How? Why all of a sudden do you change? Be like, I don't know. My husband started being so much nicer. I realized, well, there's maybe there's something to this. So like, there's more with like explaining something than actually showing something. All of a sudden you're coming, and they're gonna give you the blows, and you take it. You know, you what are you gonna tell your grandmother? Well, Grandma, you don't know what you're talking about. No, okay, but like I understand you're going through this. Uh, you know, it's hard, but listen, I'm going to class. What's I'm gonna wear longer skirts. I'm gonna keep Shabbat. I'm going to keep kosher. Is that the biggest, you know, is that the biggest, God forbid, that, you know, you'll have a daughter that's going to be listening to God? Like, you know, you, you, you put it not in a verbal attack again, but when she sees how you're becoming, when she sees how you're changing, I guarantee you it's going it, to, the, the outlook is going to change a little bit. Sometimes it's easier to change someone's idea, not by telling them what to change, but showing them the how to change. You understand? Does that make sense? Yeah. It might take longer than other, it might take longer, but it, it could eventually happen. Like, she still can't accept that, like, I don't eat pork anymore. You know, like, she really, she really, like... Tell her to come to class. <laughs> <laughs> I had a teacher who, she, she was, she passed away, but she was, um, she was, 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 she was,
passed away. She was killed in a car accident. But she left something. She said that we went to a nursing home and there was one old lady with, who wasn't a nice person. And she said that you have to change now because once you get older, it's very hard to change. That's very true. So who you are as an older person, that's who you were as a Very scary. Person. Very true. Yeah. You had a question, right? Yeah. So I don't really get the whole get in line thing. I see how that can be inspirational to people that change. But like... It, didn't seem so just, and you, it kind of seems like you're relating to God as as if he's like an emotional human being. Excellent. And it's just like God is perfect, and He knows how to judge us the way He does, and to say get in line first because like you better get there, or else there won't be any more. You know, like that's just not how. So there's two options. So excellent, excellent, you bring that because it's something really I should I should clarify. <coughs> so the question is like, what does that mean? You get in line first? Like, how could that? What does it make a difference? God is all just, all knowing, all everything, all powerful. Imagine you have two scenarios because technically you have two scenarios: God judging everybody at the same time. Because God knows everything, and God just does everything at an instant. doesn't have to go one by one. Or God judging somebody, you know, one at a time. Now, what is really going to be the difference over here? When God's judging everybody at the same time, God knows everything. In both cases, God knows everything. So God knows, if God's judging everybody, everybody's going to get the strict judgment, the way that it's supposed to, a very strict. But imagine you could influence some sort of leniency over here. Let's say that God will say, okay, I'm going to mimic the way that it judges in this world. So the righteous people, the people that are in front of the line, I'm going to judge it. It's still righteous. It's still, it's still, it's still going to be strict, you know, to the judgment. But we're going to put a factor of, of uh, a little bit of leniency, a factor of a little bit of, of rachamim, of mercy over here. So the people that are going to come in the front of the line, just like a judging over here, they're going to get a, I don't know if an easier judgment is going to be okay, but a more pleasant judgment because it's more in the beginning of the line. So in both scenarios, it's not really the beginning of the line though. Just they did things to merit their better judgment. They, they're keeping more. So love. that's just. Right, that's just, but it's not like, I don't know, I guess just the whole line analogy is bothering me, but I guess like, we're saying the same thing. We're, it's the same idea, because you're doing something to get yourself right. to a better right. place. It's not that... If you think about it, it's actually 100% you know, strict justice. But it's with an influence of mercy because going on. They're, they're following the Torah. They're, they're, yeah. You know what I'm saying? But it's not... Right, okay. Because I guess them running in, in front of the line is them keeping more halakha or being more... Better, yeah. yeah. It doesn't mean that... Yeah. 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 Okay. I, I understand it's a little bit of a conflicting idea to try to think, and that's why I try to give as much as examples as I can for, you know, for, you know to, to bring that in. But... It's not mine. You know, this is not things that I made up. This is, you know, this is a reputation. Because we're down, basically, Blazer brings down the student. You know, these are, you're talking about huge, huge rabbis. What? The people that don't care are going to be getting judged more harshly. And in reality, they would be in back of the line because they just... They would, yeah. They would. And they would not be any better off had God judged the other way, everything at the same time. They would be in the same scenario. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even so, they'll be better because there's still someone always going to be behind them. Ahmed Dimitri is going to be probably, whatever. Whether it's a line or not, it's the same thing. So I guess it just didn't like a line. Right. Okay, you got it? Okay. Any other questions? Yeah. How are you supposed to control what kind of things? Oh, that's a hard question. Yeah. So, questions like this. Let's say you're talking about judging others, right? Okay. How do you, let's say there's a situation that comes up and you're about to judge that other person. How do you go and how do you control yourself by not judging that other person? So, you can't do it by thinking right then and there, okay, I'm going to do it. It's like someone who's going to be like, okay, I'm not going to be angry anymore, I'm not going to be angry anymore, I'm not going to be angry anymore, and someone drops your coffee and be like, I am angry right now. <laughs> That's not, you can't just, it's something that you need to prepare beforehand. It's something that you need to work on yourself to get there, so when it happens, you're not going to fall into that same scenario. So if somebody wants to not get angry anymore, they have to work on their humility, they have to work on their idea of not getting angry, and then when the scenario comes, they won't get angry. So 
when you're dealing with when you're dealing with this situation of judging others, it's something that you have to work on before it actually happens. The best way to do that is starting to realize starting to love everybody else like yourself. So even people that you don't know, you just give everybody the benefit of the doubt. You just it's something that you start ingraining in your personality. It's something that you you just you know like everything's good, you know. Like a hippie, you know, yeah, it's all good. You know, everything's like cool, everything's like cruising. When you're starting to build that thing, and every day you work on it, every day you look at somebody and be like, you know, whatever, like God bless you. Someone cuts you off, give them a blessing. Or her a blessing. You, whatever it is, you're going and you're, you're changing your outlook on life. Then when the scenario happens, when your friend or a family member or somebody what else, you know, comes in a situation that you need really, really to judge that person, it's going to come second nature to you and it's going to be able to, you know, happen in a more of an easier uh, a way than forcing it then at that point in time. Make sense? Yeah. If I can add on that, um, first a person needs to love themselves. You must be able to, like, yeah. view others favorably. It's very hard to judge others favorably, but a person Yeah, like if somebody doesn't like themselves, uh, yeah. Especially in the older ones. That's why, like, right. That's why I have to laugh kamocha. One of the most important things is you have to love yourself. I think I gave like three classes on this on self esteem or something like that. Very important. Um, Reb, um, I heard a Tori time from the uh, speaker, someone. He said that if you if you don't like somebody or you have something against somebody, it's because you really it's because you don't like yourself fully. Sometimes you could see you see the defaults of other people. Yeah. Of you see your faults of yourself in other people. Right. So sometimes, let's say, you know, someone is, I don't know, let's say who's angry or speaks a lot of gossip and you're like, oh, this person is such a big gossip. So deep down, you also kind of do that. Not always, but it could be like, you know, deep down you have some sort of collision. So you're judging, you're, you're presenting your judgment of yourself on others, you, you know, as well. It's true, because I see that in myself too. I'll be like, oh, I don't like this and this. And I realize, do I not like her or do I not like it? It's very important when you're dealing with these situations to really look at yourself. In, in essence, like everything else, change doesn't happen when the war happens. Change happens before. You got to work out beforehand, and then you got to change yourself. And eventually, when that thing comes, you'll be trained to know what to do when you need to do it. Any other questions? Questions off camera. Any other questions on camera? All right, Chazakubahu. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.